Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It's time, it's time for the Rip City Drive. Rip City. The Rip City Drive with Travis Demers and Chad Dewing. On your home of the Blazers, Rip City Radio. Good afternoon, a happy Wednesday to you, the 25th day of October 2017. Chad, Blazers home opener last night. They get the win. It was a beautiful thing they got the win, but it was one of the uglier games that the Blazers have won really in the last few years. Yeah, maybe in the Terry Stotts era here in Portland. And I would go, I would even go a step further and just say the Blazers were pretty much awful last night. In several different phases of the game. It was not pretty. But you and I were talking about this the other day. We've talked about it several times. And it's a philosophy that I truly believe in. The NBA season, Trav, 82 games. It's really long. Road trips, home games, guys get tired. And with that, you're going to have long stretches where you aren't in a good flow on offense. You can't buy a bucket. Your stars aren't making shots. You're going to go through long stretches without a field goal. Those things happen. So the question is, how do you absorb that and still find a way to win a game? And last night, the Blazers did just that. They didn't play well, but yet they found a way to win. And that's what being a good team is all about. Yeah, it it really is. And last night, you saw Anthony Davis go out after five minutes. Played five minutes, scored two points, had one rebound and one block. We didn't really get a sense of how this Pelicans team would look against the Blazers with the Twin Towers in there because we didn't see it. And as soon as that happened, Twitter blew up. Oh, this is going to be an easy game for the Blazers. No Anthony Davis. What else do they have? DeMarcus Cousins and a whole lot of nothing. And, yeah, that's that's really true. This Pelicans team is not very good outside of Cousins and Anthony Davis. But the Blazers didn't do their part. If they played like they did against Phoenix, even against Milwaukee, they win this game in a rout. But they didn't do that. It was one of those nights where Damian just – Didn't shoot well at all. He was bad shooting last night. He really was, but he added seven assists. CJ threw three quarters. He had seven points through three quarters before he exploded in the fourth quarter. Nobody really did much offensively in this game through three quarters, and you can argue that CJ was the only player who did anything at all offensively in this game. But like you mentioned, in this Terry Stotts era that started in 2012-2013, they do not win basketball games that they don't play well in. And the, the sign of a good team is winning games when you are far from your best. Damian was far from his best last night. The Blazers offensively were far from their best, but they won an ugly game. And at the end of the year, when they finish fourth, fifth, or sixth, one game ahead of whoever, it doesn't matter how they won, but this win is going to matter. Blazer fans, let me lay this out for you. And if I would have laid this out before the game and said these things are going to happen, I'm guessing all of you would have said loss. Yusuf Nurkic, one of my priorities going into that game was for him to stay out of foul trouble. He went to the bench with his third foul six minutes into the game. He played just 20 minutes last night, and you needed him against those twin towers. Dame, as Travis mentioned, 3 of 16. He was 0 of 7 in the first half with two points. CJ had the great fourth, but he was lifeless. He he had a disappearing act for three quarters. They shot just under 40% for the game. Boogie Cousins was awesome. 
39 points, 13 rebounds. And oh, by the way, Portland committed 19 turnovers and they went through, and this is critical, a six-minute stretch in the fourth quarter without a field goal. That is awful basketball. They're turning it over. Nurkic getting into foul trouble. Dame played like someone slipped him a Mickey the night before. Your stars weren't hitting shots, and there was no flow to the offense. It was an ugly, mistake-filled game. So the big question is, how do you win a game like that? Well, you get 43 points from your bench, and you have a tenacity and a work ethic on the defensive end of the floor and also rebounding. I told you the other day, I think this team's got a chance not to be a good rebounding team, but elite. They have been this year, Trav, last night. 63-41 on the boards, but the real key, 18 offensive rebounds, which led to a 24-8 advantage in second chance points. Rip City, that is why we're so happy, because the Blazers are growing up right before our eyes and finding ways to get things done. In the past, Trav, you're right, they would have lost the game because Dame and CJ, their two star guards, didn't had an off night. Last night, those two guys were pretty much pitiful for the majority of the evening, and yet the Blazers were able to carve out a win. That, to me, is more exciting than them winning by 58 on opening night. It's better than a night when they shoot 60% from downtown and they score 150. That is exactly what you need as a young team to show that you're making progress, to win on a night when things are going sideways all over, all around. Look, you talk about the rebounding, Chad, and this is not like with New Orleans where Cousins had 13 rebounds and nobody else really did a whole lot. Ian Clark had seven off the bench, but that was about it. Everybody... Got into the act last night, rebounding the ball for the Blazers. They had eight different players who had at least five rebounds. They had seven different players who had at least six rebounds. You had, what, five different players who had at least seven rebounds. It wasn't a huge night. Ed Davis off the bench had 10 rebounds in 21 minutes, but everybody picked up the slack, yeah. rebounding the basketball. Everybody got it done when the Blazers on a night where they shot 37%. Their rebounding was very good. They had 19 turnovers last night, but they also had seven steals and seven blocks last yes. night. And let me emphasize the rebounding number again. It wasn't just a very good rebounding night. It was elite, Travis. They were just a few rebounds away from their franchise record. And like you said, it's not about one or two guys. It's a team effort. Same thing with defense. You went on defense with a team effort. It's a collective effort from everybody that takes time on the floor to go out there and compete. And I was thinking about this last night. We all love offense, Travis. We love offense, whether it's football, basketball, whatever. We like scoring. We like the pretty plays. We like guys to, to get hot and go for 40. And I was thinking back to the teams of the past, whether it was Warren Moon and the Houston Oilers in the early 90s with the run-and-shoot offense, the Houston Cougars who had Andre Ware and David Klingler and their run-and-shoot offense. Those teams were great, but when they faced adversity and had to go on the road outside of the Dome, they struggled. How about the 2013 Denver Broncos? When Peyton Manning was hot and they were making plays through the air, it was a pretty offense. You go up against a stout defense in bad temperatures, and all of a sudden things go sideways. You can't find a different way to win the game because you're so reliant on one guy to make plays. For years, the Blazers have been relying on Damon CJ to shoot well to give them a chance to win. Well, this is a different team now. You've got tougher guys. You've got a, more of a team commitment to defense, and now we're seeing the result. If you don't walk away from last night, partly concerned because it was ugly, that's fine, but they won the game. And, and I think Dame said it best afterwards when he's like, look, you don't make apologies for a win. You win the game. That is what the bottom line is. You said concerned because they won the game ugly. 
I don't feel that way. And looking through a lot of the let fans me rephrase comments, that. No, no, I, I know, I know what you're getting at. There's and some things to be concerned about when you watch some of the particulars that went on last you're night. You're absolutely right. There are some things to be concerned about. Damien's shooting last night was terrible. But well, you, I'm not worried about Dame though, because he's he's going to be fine. Right. And that's that's part of the point is that you take his shooting night, and if that was a game in February, are we making a big deal about it? No. Because it's just one game. Damon's been fine. He hasn't been great this year. One bad night in the fourth game of the season looks bad because you have four games to go off of. There's nothing to overreact at just yet. But rather than being concerned about winning a game while playing ugly, I, I'm quite the opposite. I would much rather see them win a game ugly than cruise through every game and then get blown out by Golden State or get blown out by Oklahoma City. I want to see games like this, and I want to see more games like this because when it matters towards the end of the season, when you're playing better teams, or when it matters in the postseason, when you have played games like this and you have confidence that when Damian Lillard and or CJ McCollum is not playing well, and really nobody had a big offensive game last night, that you can find a way to win a game because in the playoffs, you will have to do that. Late in the season, you will have to do that. And the more games they are able to win that way now, whether it's against the Pelicans without Anthony Davis are a bad basketball team, or if it's against Minnesota or Oklahoma City or whoever, games like that are the type of games that define who you are as a team, not the 50-point wins. Yeah, you got to win ugly. Um, I want to make sure everyone understands where I'm coming from. I'm, I love winning ugly more than I do pretty because that's the sign of growth, and you need to be that to be a champion. Champions find ways to win on nights when they don't have it going. My biggest concern coming out of the game last night was Yusuf Nurkic, oddly enough. I love Nurk. I love the guy with all my heart. No one's a bigger fan of Nurkic than I am. But you can't get three fouls midway through the first quarter. Don't get sucked into the game that Boogie Cousins wants to play because once he pulls you in, you, he's going to flop and then you get hit with fouls. He played 20 minutes last night on a night when they needed him. He got off to a good start and then the fouls came and he had to go to the bench the rest of the half. Nurkic has got to be smarter than that and also... He was doing some Euro flopping last night. Yeah. I don't like Euros who flop in basketball. Yusuf, no one's a bigger fan of you than me. Do not bring the Euro flop to the NBA game. You're bigger and tougher and better than that. I expect a lot more. And then also, he got hit in the face. And this guy has a knack for getting hit in the face for some reason. <laughs> don't give me the soccer squirming around in the ground acting like you just got shot either. It's like, come on, Nurk. You're tougher than that. The soccer flop, the Euro flop, I don't need that in basketball. Come on, Nurk. Stay on the field or stay on the court. Don't get in foul trouble. And don't bring your Euro garbage to this don't game. Don't go Boogie Cousins because some of the, the flops he had last night and just the, the look on his face, he looked like someone walked in front of him while he was on the bench, just let, let out just the biggest fart of all time and walked away because he had that look on his face like he was just smelling something real bad. The entire night. It was kind of embarrassing seeing a grown man just look as as upset and angry and cranky as he was last night. And that's another reason why I can't stand Boogie Cousins, because he's a little crybaby. Yeah, but he's really good. He is, but he's still a little crybaby. Yeah, but he's the best big in the game. I just... That doesn't take away from the fact that he's a crybaby. He's great, but he's a little punk. He is. I want to kneecap him, but when you're that good, you can act like a crybaby. It doesn't mean I have to like him, because I don't. And it worked. He sucked Nurk in and got three fouls on him in a heartbeat. Don't play Boogie's game because you're probably going to lose that game. He gets over. Yeah.
He almost single-handedly won that game. Yeah, he was remarkable last night. Yeah, but he we was, wouldn't want Boogie in a Blazer uniform. 39-13. and 13. He, was, he was really good last night. All right, coming up next, we're going to talk some football with Kevin Dyson. You might remember him as having one of the biggest games in Super Bowl history. He is a former Ute, and he is going to join us coming up next. We're also going to have an opportunity for you to qualify to see the Blazers and Warriors in the Bay Area. You've got the Rip City Drive with Travis and Chad and your home of the Blazers, Rip City Radio. Travis Demers, Chad Dewing. This is beautiful. What is that, velvet? It's the Rip City Drive on the voice of Portland sports, Rip City Radio. Hey, Travis, time to fly away to the Bay, buddy. Yeah, let's do it right now. We have your chance for you to win a trip with a friend to see the Blazers at the Warriors December 11th. When we call your name, you'll have 15 minutes to call 503-248-0620. You'll be entered into our drawing to win two tickets, hotel and airfare, thanks to our friends at Delta Airlines and Battery Exchange. There is still time to enter between now and next Friday at RipCityRadio.com. RipCityRadio.com to enter your information. We will pick a winner Friday, November 3rd at 5.15 p.m. All right. The next name we are calling is... Corey, I think it's Sheard, S-H-I-R-D, Corey Sheard, S-H-I-R-D. You have 15 minutes to call 503-248-0620, 503-248-0620 to be entered in our drawing to see the Blazers and Warriors in Oakland on December 11th. Do the Titans have a miracle left in them in what has been a magical season to this point? If they do, they need it now. Christie kicks it high and short. Going to be fielded by Lorenzo Neal at the 25. Yeah, pitches it, it back to Wycheck. He throws it across the field to Dyson. He's got something. 30, He's 40, got something. 50, He's got it. 40, He's got 20, it. 20, 10, He's got 5, it. End zone. Touchdown, Titans. There are no flags on the field. It's a miracle. Tennessee has pulled a miracle. A miracle for the Titans. Our next guest played his college ball at the University of Utah, spent eight years in the NFL, known for his time with the Tennessee Titans, now an analyst for 104.5 The Zone in Nashville. Kevin Dyson joins the Rip City Drive with Travis and Chad. Kevin, we appreciate your time. The Music, music City Miracles, what, what a play. And I worked with Lorenzo Neal down in the Bay Area, and he told me that he knew the Bills were going to kick him the ball, so he made sure Wycheck was ready for that pitch. Man, you know what? It's funny. When you Every year, every time I get the opportunity to get with the guys and talk about play and we do some kind of event or whatever, I find out something new. And I just found that out last year that he kind of ordained that whole thing. He told Frank Wycheck as they were running off to the field, he's like, I'm getting this ball, man. Be ready. I'm giving it right to you. And it, sure enough, it went right to him. And I'm going to tell you that real quick, man. When that ball went to him, I think, we had guys pick up the helmets ready to go in. <laughs> Lorenzo Neal can't catch. You know, that, that's, that's no, there's no secret about that. But that man could block his tail off. I believe if there was a really a, Hall of, a true Hall of Fame for football players and what he has done for his career, he would be a Hall of Famer right now. But catching the football was not his forte. No doubt. Now, how special did you think that was that LT asked him to do his introduction speech at the Hall of Fame? That's just, that just to show you what he meant to so many backs. Um, I can go down the list of all these potential Hall of Famers, all these all pros and guys that he helped send to Pro Bowl. 
Um, every back he blocked for went to Pro Bowl. Starting, you can start at the latter part of his career with LT, Eddie George, Corey Dillon, Warwick Dunn, Mike Allstock. You know, every one of those backs ran behind that man. But him and people like Sam Gass, the dirty work, the unsung heroes of their offense don't get the credit. And it's unfortunate because they don't have the quote-unquote stats to produce a Hall of Fame ballot vote and when they are truly Hall of Famers. And that right there was LT letting you know I couldn't have had I couldn't have been who I am without guys like Lorenzo Neal. You know, Kevin, going back to the Music City Miracle, uh, everybody tries to do one of those plays at the end of games. Hey, guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun, too. It's a thing, and now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun, Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino-style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere, and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware. We, we see it every week in the NFL. There are three or four of them every single week. And if that's every week, multiply that times 16 plus playoffs times every year. That play's probably been tried about 10 billion times in the history of football, but it's only worked <laughs> like two or three times ever. So when you're going into that play and Lorenzo is expecting to get the ball and Wycheck is expecting to make a play and then you make the big play, how confident were you that it was actually going to work? Well, not really at all because <laughs> I wasn't supposed to be out there. That's not how they explained it to me. That's not how I seen it work in practice. Uh, so, yeah, the confidence level wasn't there. I was just hoping to get some kind of yardage out of the play where we have opportunity to run a few plays and maybe get a, get in scoring range. Um, but the gist of the play was, you know, we usually at that point in the game that the opposing team squares the ball on the ground. That's why Frank Wycheck was in because obviously his hand, he was going to field the square. But then his responsibility was to do what he did, to draw the kicking team to him and then lateral football to the opposite return man, which would have been Isaac Bird, which would have been Derek Mason. But he went out with a concussion about the same time I was being injured in the sports. And his backup, Anthony Dorsett Jr., was cramping up, so he couldn't run. So they called me because I guess I kicked return in college and asked me to step in. So they were explaining to me to play as I run to the field. And they told me, you know, Frank's going to get the ball. He's going to lateral to Ike. You get in pitch relationship to him. He's going to get what he can. He's going to pitch it to you. You get what you can. And we get out of bounds, kick the field goal. And that's how it was supposed to be a run. Well, lo and behold, Isaac Burr saw the book. He ran up. He got out of position. All I saw was Frank Whitecheck rear back with his arm trying to throw the football. I took a lunge back, caught the ball, and history was made. <laughs> it's Kevin Dyson here on the Rip City Drive with Travis and Chad. Now, you played your college ball at Utah, and you also played the same position as Darren Carrington Jr., who's having a big year for the Utes. Oh, what do you yeah, think it's going to be? I played, with his, I played with his cousin in college, too. Oh, that's great. I, I grew up watching uh, – his father, Darren Carrington, he was a Denver Bronco uh, in nickelback, yeah. dimeback, and a, a terrific special teamer. Um, 
What's that going to be like for him to go back to Autzen and play in front of the home crowd? And then on top of that, Kevin, how, how do you manage your emotions in that type of situation? I think the, the emotion part is probably the most substantial. You know, when you get there, you, you want to have the fans, and then it becomes part of the game. But you want them to know what they're missing out on, what you didn't give me an opportunity to do if you talk about his case. And I think that is going to be the thing he has to control and not worry about getting me the ball because you got to go by the flow of the game. I, he, he was frustrated the other night against USC. You know, he's been putting up well over 100 yards a game, and he only had, like, I think one or two touches the whole game against USC. And now when you become a, a primary target, people start paying attention to you. Well, he can't get obsessed with his numbers and his targets and his opportunities uh, when he gets into a game like this because you're going to let that emotion get to you and you're going to miss that opportunity that comes to you when you need to make a play because you're so worried about everything else that not, has nothing to do with your play and has anything to do with the game. So it's 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 a, it's a trick to to playing within yourself, playing playing almost emotionless as opposed to with so much emotion because of the magnitude of the game and how much it means to you. If you think about it from a receiver's perspective, Kevin, and go back to a couple of years ago for Darren Carrington, he caught passes – uh, from two different guys in Vernon Adams and Jeff Lockie. And then the next year, it's Dakota Prukup. He gets replaced with Justin Herbert. And then he moves on to another team in Utah, and he starts out with uh, with one quarterback in Huntley, and then he gets hurt, and you go back to Troy Williams, now back to Huntley. When you have that many different quarterbacks over the course of three years, how difficult is it to get on and stay on the same page and the same timing with the guy that's actually in there? There's a little bit of difficulty, but I think nowadays the offenses are predicated on, you know, timing and things of that nature as far as, you know, you know, five steps, let it go. You put it in the general facility. This is the aiming point. So the ball's going to be, you know, in a general aiming point area. I think more so than anything is velocity, um, how hard hard guys throw the ball, a catchable ball, uh, accuracy. I think those things is more so than timing. Uh, play a bigger part on on a receiver success. There's so many different variables for a receiver to be successful. I think uh, we get caught up on the numbers of receivers, but you think about how many different variables have to go in line, in line for you to be successful. Offensive line has to block. Got to pick up the blitz by the back. Quarterback has to have the right read. Got to get the coverage for the route you're running. You can't get bumped off your route. You got to run. You know, there's so many different things for you to be successful as a receiver, and, and even still. It's all about opportunities. You have to get the targets. You have to get opportunities. You have high-volume opportunities to have high-volume numbers, and that's what it comes down to. So when you've got new quarterbacks in, and if you are a, you know, a disciplined route runner and things of that nature, timing is yeah, it's, it's a little bit of a part issue, but more or less it becomes about the other factors, the, the blocking scheme, quarterback's ability to find you, the defense, what are they doing, the accuracy from the quarterback those things are are more so of an issue than I would say uh, timing. We're talking with Kevin Dyson, former Tennessee Titan, now with 104.5 The Zone in Nashville here on the Rip City Drive with Travis and Chad. Uh, Kevin, Travis and I were talking about quarterbacks earlier, and we were talking about Sam Darnold. USC's got a couple of losses, and, you know, Darnold has struggled this year. And I wanted to know from you if someone like a Darnold came to you for advice on what he should do with his future whether to enter the NFL draft where he's probably almost guaranteed to be a top five guy or to come back and spend another year in college. I mean, what type of advice would you give in that situation? And how do you know when is the right time to leave? Well, if, if I'm a, a guy that's potentially in top five, 
I think I'm gone in this day and age, and and we know what the NFL stands for. It's not for the National Football League. It's for not for long. So, you know, there's a short window opportunity. Um, I, I don't know his circumstances. I think circumstances play a part in it, too. If you're coming from a, an affluent family, you know, you may not be as pressed to maybe make that decision as opposed to if you were somewhat on the latter end of economics. You know, so it's like it, that plays a part in it, too. But at the same time, if I have an opportunity to be a top five, top ten pick, and that's kind of what my grade is telling me, I don't know if there's going to be one more season that's going to help me elevate that. And, in fact, it might do the opposite. I might come to college and might experience an injury that I haven't had, and that, that takes away my money, although these guys will be insured. But it's still that experience of being a top five, top ten pick, those, that doesn't come that often. So if you had that opportunity, depending on what, especially where you're at with school, I think you almost got to take it in this day and age. I think it's just a small window opportunity. Uh, quarterbacks are, you know, they're at a premium, but you see how it is in the National Football League. You know, you get your one or two years, and if you're not successful, they're drafting another one. And uh, so you got to get your money while you can. That last question, your last comment there is is what I want to know because – if you are a quarterback and you come out and you're a top five pick and you can't get any higher with your draft status, but you do come out and you don't have success in your first two years because you're just not ready yet and having another year maybe of college experience would have helped, and those first two years are bad and you don't get that chance, does it make sense sometimes to stay in so you're more ready when you get that first chance and you get that second or third contract? Well, and I think the optimum word is here is chance. You're playing a game of chance. You're playing a game of what if. Because if I say, yeah, get another year of college ball, you're playing against college kids that you that are not pro talent. So you can be better served being in the field, getting that experience. You can also you can make that argument, I should say, of I'm playing against pro talent, seeing that speed, getting that experience, as opposed to being in college and dominating and getting better. Uh, the, the offenses are completely different. The philosophies, how they how they attack the defense that you see, the skill level, the speed is so different. So for a quarterback, especially, you know, it, and, and everything is scripted in the NFL, I mean, in college where, you know, everybody's got wristbands, they don't know huddle, and you've heard the arguments about quarterbacks and being under center. There's not a whole lot of pro-style schemes in, in college football anymore. There's very few. And so, yeah, that can almost be a hindrance to you by staying another year because that's another year you're lacking on professional quarterbacking skills that you're not getting because you are continually being in college ball. So if I'm him and I am a top five, top ten pick at quarterback, I'm out of there. Kevin, final question for you. I would get shanked by Duck fans if I didn't ask you about Marcus Mariota. You know, the Titans, uh, you maybe didn't get off to the start that you guys expected. But how's he feeling? Is he close to 100%? And, and what's your takeaway on what you've seen from Mariota so far? Well, let me start with the first part. I, th- I think that the Titans are a victim of expectation. I mean, four and three right now, I think, um, playoff start today, they'd be the fourth seed. And I mean, and I, I don't think anybody would be sniffing at that. I think the, the perception is uh, because they didn't blow out the Chiefs, uh, I mean, the, the, excuse me, the, the Browns, that, that they are – a mediocre team or whatnot, and then when they lost to Miami at the time, now look how Miami's playing. Then everybody's like, "Oh, Miami's not a good team." They lost, so you know, perceptionally, the Titans may not have that they have that uh, or about them because they're at four and three, but they're really right there in the thick of things in the AFC. But for Marcus, it's all about health. I think he's progressing along. I think he's getting better. I think that Monday Night Football game, ever got the opportunity to see a guy that wasn't a hundred percent 
wasn't even close to 100%, take his team and will them to victory, especially there in the third and fourth quarter. And I think for Marcus, that's what he's got to start doing. He's got to establish an aura about him, a legacy, things like, Aaron Rodgers with the calf muscle, Tom Brady, you know, some of these guys that overcome adversity and still will their team to playoff runs and Super Bowl championships, that is how you build a legacy in the National Football League. Stats is part of it, you know, especially at quarterback. You got to put up the numbers. We get that. You got to put up the wins. We get that. But it's about overcoming adversity and doubts and injuries and still playing at a high level. And that's what he was able to do on on Monday night uh, a few weeks ago. And then, you think about it, they persevere. They, they're not putting up touchdowns. They, they're having red zone struggles. They're having third down efficiency struggles. But they, they won the football game. And at the end of the night, at the end of the day, if you go 12 and 4, 11 and 5, there's nobody going back and saying, oh my God, they only beat the Cleveland Browns 12 9 in, in overtime. Nobody's talking about that. They're talking about you won 11, 12 games. And then when you get to your end of your career and you potentially are a Hall of Famer or whatever, and you got. 298 wins, they're not going back and saying, oh, my God, they only beat the Browns in 2017, 12-9. At the end of the day, it's about winning football games and moving on to the next one, and that's what they're doing. Former Ute, eight years in the NFL. He's on Twitter, at KTDyson87, and now an analyst on 104.5 The Zone. Uh, Kevin, that was a great conversation. We appreciate your time, and uh, we wish you nothing but the best, bro. All right, brother. I appreciate you time. There you go, Kevin Dyson. Love talking to him. Dude's what a great a play that was. How big of a game do you think Carrington's going to have this Saturday? I think he's going to want to have the biggest game he's ever had in his life. I think that really depends on who's playing quarterback, <laughs> how healthy the quarterback is, yeah. how healthy their offensive line is. Can they get any kind of run game going? Because outside of Carrington, where do the Ducks need to pay any attention defensively in the passing game? Yeah, not so much. they're going to spend their defensive focus on Darren Carrington and try to completely take him out of the game because right now Utah doesn't have any other offensive weapons. I'm sorry, Huntley has not looked good since he's come back. Is he fully healthy? I don't know the answer to that. Maybe well, it's not fair because he isn't healthy. I, I think he's just shy of being 100% healthy. They think he can make all the throws, but when you're out there with a sore arm, your throwing arm, you can throw errant passes. So keep an eye on that. He had four picks yet last week. Those turnovers, critical this week for a team that needs a short field to get points. It yes. does. For a receiver to go out and have a huge game, his quarterback has to get him the ball. And the rest of his offense has to have at least some level of success to open up the passing game with the run game and things like that. For a quarterback, you don't have to have great receivers. You can have good receivers and get him the ball. But if you're a receiver... They can throw you the ball 20 times, but it doesn't mean it's going to come to you. Yeah, I, I would say this. I, I know that this is a tough task for the Ducks this weekend against Utah, but this is a game that they could maybe sneak away with. We're talking about a team that, that's not playing well on offense. The Ducks' defense has been pretty effective. This could be a close, kind of a, I don't know, slobber knocker type of game, an ugly football game. And if the Ducks can limit those mistakes and the turnovers, maybe they'll be in a position to win. Yeah. Because their quarterback play... Well, both sides, the Ducks and the Utes, no, they're, you're not getting good quarterback play, and that, and that puts Oregon in a position where you know, maybe Utah's not going to be able to put points up on the board. In a normal year, Utah, Utah's offensive line would be the story in this game because Utah's offensive line would create holes for the Utes to run the football and give Huntley or Williams or whoever it's going to be 
time to throw the ball on play action and things like that. Well, this isn't a normal year. Yeah. And we talked yesterday about, about it with Kyle Whittingham that this offensive line is banged up. This is not a healthy offensive line. The defense is not healthy. So where Utah wins their football games and where their bread and butter leads to success for the Utes, this is the one year where it's not working. So because of that, this isn't a normal Utes football team. This isn't a normal Utah football game. They can't run the football very well. Right now, they can't throw the football very well, and one usually follows the other. Oregon can't throw the football well right now, but their offensive line is playing well, and they can run the football as well as anybody right now. Yeah, I think the Ducks have a chance to win this game on Saturday. Travis and I do want to continue this quarterback conversation. USC's already got two losses, and I think they're facing another one on Saturday. Will that have any impact on the future of Sam Darnold and whether or not he goes to the NFL or stays for another year at USC? It's the Rip City Drive with Travis and Chad here on your home of the Blazers, Rip City Radio. The Rip City Drive with Travis and Chad. Everyone in this room is now dumber for having listened to it. Travis and Chad on Rip City Radio. All right, Travis, I've got a a question for you, and it goes back to something Kevin Dyson said in regards to the future of Sam Darnold, the uh, terrific quarterback down at USC. They've got two losses. They're coming off that blowout loss at Notre Dame. They're playing Saturday night at Arizona State. I think they're going to lose that game. The Sun Devils are playing terrific football right now. They've won two straight, and their defense under their defensive coordinator, Phil Bennett, has turned around. They're getting stops. They're making plays on offense, and they've got some good. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to. Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo, and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Skill players. So that would give them three losses. Do you think in any way, shape, or form that the lack of success for USC will have any impact on the decision-making of Sam Darnold? And if so, how? I think it could, and I think you could be looking at a situation where Sam Darnold, if USC was really good, if they were a one-loss team or an unbeaten team, and they fall one game short of the playoff, or they get into the playoff and lose a really close game, that Sam Darnold would want to come back and take care of his unfinished business to win a national championship. But that's not the case. They're not getting into the playoff. They have an outside chance still of getting to the Rose Bowl. If they run the table and win the conference championship, they'll play in another Rose Bowl, which she's already done before. I think that's the one thing that results, wins and losses, could factor into whether or not Sam Darnold comes back. So I don't think that that's a factor in it. But there were a couple of reports earlier this week. This one came from Benjamin Albright from 104.7 FM in Denver, who has been on this program before. Uh, he cited uh, an unnamed source, so that could be anything, that the redshirt sophomore, Sam Darnold, he has two years left of eligibility, is unlikely to enter the NFL draft. And you look at the numbers this year, through eight games for Sam Darnold, 17 touchdowns. It's not great, it's good, but it's not great. 2,292 yards, which is good, not great, and 10 interceptions. Well, at the next level, NFL scouts don't draft you based on the numbers. 
that you had the year before in college. If you threw 100 touchdowns and two interceptions, that's not going to be what gets you drafted because you maybe you did it at Western Kentucky. Maybe you did it at Hawaii. Maybe you did it at Oklahoma. What they look for is the fundamentals. They look for your release, how quick your release is, what your arm strength looks like, what your footwork looks like, what your decision-making is. So you could put up great numbers or you could put up bad numbers, and I don't think that really has an effect in anything. We've seen quarterbacks before who have not had great numbers in college go on to be early draft picks in the NFL because they have the fundamentals, they have those tools. I think a, a guy who pops into my head that was like that was Patrick Ramsey at Tulane who was not a great college quarterback, didn't put up great numbers, but he was a first-round pick because of the tools. Now, he ended up starting for a number of years with the Jets and the Redskins, and he was an okay NFL quarterback. But you look at the the obscene numbers. A guy like Brandon Doughty a few years ago at Western Kentucky had incredible numbers. Well, he's on the Miami Dolphins, but he's a third-string quarterback for a reason, and he doesn't get in because it's not just about the numbers. Sam Darnold has the fundamental tools. He is a smart football player, and he's just a smart young man. When we talked to him down at Pac-12 Media Day, he blew me away. He's a mature, intelligent young man off the field. On the field, he's a hard worker. He has the fundamentals. He's got the arm strength. He's got the footwork. He's got the uh, ability. He's got all of those things. But the one thing that right now is looked at as a negative is the interceptions, that he's not great at reading defenses. So maybe he looks at it and says, I just need to be better. I need another year of experience before I'm willing to go to the next level, whether he's a top five draft pick or not. And Kevin Dyson also talked about your family's socioeconomic background. Well, Sam Darnold's family is doing just fine. He doesn't need to buy his mom a house to get them out of a bad neighborhood because his family is okay. So while the money matters, it's not a family decision, which definitely weighs into some young men sometimes. Yeah, and the one thing that Kevin Dyson said that I think is absolutely true, I just wonder when it comes to college football, if another year of experience at USC will do anything to help prepare you for the NFL. I would say not, and it goes back to what Dyson said, the speed of the game. The athletes, athlete to athlete, who you're facing week in and week out on Sundays in the NFL, you can't even compare that to college football. No, you, you absolutely can't. But at the same time, for some players, and it's different for everybody, reps matter. Whatever level it is, reps matter. And you might not be great at reading college defenses right now, so how is that going to translate to the NFL when coverages change all the time, coverages are disguised all the time, and if you can't read it and you think it's one thing and it's another – you're going to end up throwing a lot of interceptions. So just for himself, as a young man who's playing his second year of college football as a redshirt sophomore, maybe it would do him some good to stay just to get the reps to get better because we've seen so many times where a quarterback goes to the NFL and he might have the physical tools. He might have all of those things that with the right growth and the right development would lead him to being a terrific NFL quarterback someday, but... When we talked to Kevin Dyson, he also mentioned that you don't get many chances. If you go out your first year and you're not very good like Jared Goff was last year, you've got to come back in your second year and be good. It's not like it was 20 or 30 years ago where a quarterback is going to get three, four, five, six years to develop. You get one, maybe two, maybe, maybe three years. So you could get that chance and blow it in your first year and not be much better in your second year. And coaches need to win. 
general managers need to win so they can keep their jobs. And they might not be willing to let a quarterback develop for three years and have to make a change because they've got to keep their job. And then a young quarterback who 30 years ago might have had three or four or five years to develop doesn't get that opportunity today. And then that opportunity is gone in the blink of an eye. Yeah, if I'm Darnold, I go because, you know, you were talking about the development. The coaching on the NFL level is so much better. Yeah. And you're out there on the practice field. You're working with coaches. You're game planning. You're going over film. It's a full-time job. And we talked to Darnold. You're right. He's super sharp. I think if you immerse him in that type of situation, he's going to pick up on things and learn so much more as a rookie in the NFL in terms of how to read defenses, how to, how to make decisions, and what it means to be a quarterback in the NFL. He's going to learn so much more than you would staying another year at USC, going up against inferior players. And really, that's what it comes down to. You're going up against inferior players week in and week out compared to what you face in the NFL with the speed and the skill level and the guys who are out there trying to ruin you. I mean, I, I just think you learn a lot more in the NFL. And if you're smart sure. like Darnold is, you'll pick up on it and, and you'll make the best of it. I, I don't agree with I don't disagree with that. And I think he should go to the NFL. And I think he will go to the NFL. But you look at a franchise like Cleveland, who continues to make bad decisions. They could have had Carson Wentz. Uh, they could have had Deshaun Watson. They could have had a number of quarterbacks. But the guys that they put in there, whether it's Kevin Hogan um, or uh, Deshaun Kaiser or whoever it is, the kid from South Carolina, I already forgot his name. Uh, they 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 keep rolling out different guys because whoever they put in there doesn't have success, and they keep turning over coaches and they keep turning over general managers, and they don't give anybody time to develop. So if Sam Darnold gets drafted number one by the Browns, and he goes in there next year and he has a bad year, and then he goes out there the following year and has another bad year, the coach is probably going to get fired. The general manager is probably going to get fired. And whoever the new guy is, is probably going to want to make a change at quarterback so he can get his guy in there and at least give himself a chance with his own guys. There are very few situations in today's NFL in the last 10 or 15 years where a quarterback does not have success early in his career and continues to get opportunities. The one guy where I think you can make the case of that with is Drew Brees. His first couple of years with the Chargers were not very good, so they draft Phillip Rivers. And Drew Brees had a ton of success in his first couple of years, and Phillip Rivers did not get the start. Well, eventually, Drew Brees got hurt. Phillip Rivers got the start at the end of the year, and then you saw the situation where they get rid of Drew Brees and they move on to somebody else. But that doesn't happen. You get two years, basically, tops in the NFL, and if you're not ready and you fail, you will not get another chance. That's the one thing that concerns me if Sam Darnold is not ready. Well, you know, the Browns, say what you want about the organization, the ownership. Their head coach is one of the best quarterback coaches in all the NFL. Yeah, he is. Hugh Jackson would do wonders for a guy like Sam Darnold. Hugh Jackson, offensively, is a lot farther ahead than anybody on that USC staff. But if they go 2-14, and 14, that hurts. And they're probably going to go in another direction if they go 2-14 and 14 and 3-13 and 13 in back-to-back -back years or win seven games in three years. If you don't win, they're going to make changes. That's true. But good players find ways to make things happen, even in bad situations. I don't think good players in Cleveland are going to find ways to make things work. With Hugh Jackson, I think they can. He's a smart coach. I I can't see it happening in Cleveland. We haven't seen it. He's won, what, one game in a year and a half there? The Portland Trailblazers are 
a different team. They're not the same team we've seen the last couple of years, and we'll tell you why next. It's the Rip City Drive with Travis and Chad here on your home of the Portland Trailblazers, Rip City Radio. It's time, it's time for the Rip City Drive. Rip City the Rip City Radio. Drive with Travis Demers and Chad Dewing on your home of the Blazers, Rip City Radio. Hour two of three on a Wednesday afternoon. Glad to have you with us on the Rip City Drive. Coming up in about 15 minutes from now, stay tuned. We will call another name to qualify somebody to go see the Blazers and Warriors in Oakland on December 11th. We will call a name every hour on the Rip City Mornings and the Rip City Drive at 17 past the hour between now and next Friday. And we'll pick a winner next Friday at 515. You still have time to enter over at RipCityRadio.com. All right, Chad, the Blazers get an ugly, ugly win last night at home over the Pelicans, 103-93. I know you are fired up about the rebounding, and last night, Caleb Swanigan played his best game in his very young career. Yeah, this team, and you know, I've said this time and time again, and we've talked about it, it's a different team. And the reason why you can be excited about this group, part of that is because of the depth. And not just the depth, but the type of guys that Terry Stotts has at his disposal um he used 11 guys last night travis 11 guys six guys came off the bench but the difference now with this group caleb swanigan ed davis these two guys are tough they're tough-minded they play with a lot of energy and effort and they're willing to get after it on the defensive end of the floor and not only that but neither one of these guys is what i would call a soft basketball player Biggie Swanigan last night, you saw him on a few different occasions just unwilling to give up on a play and by that type of work and effort because he wants it more than the majority of guys do, he was able to work himself into an and-one situation. And Ed Davis, I, I didn't realize how bad that injury was or how much it was hurting him last year, but his play so far this year has been dynamite. And you can see the versatility now when Nurkic goes to the bench or Stotts is using a different combination of guys. When you have quality depth, in the front court, guys who can come in and rebound and get after it, then it's going to give you a lot of different combinations of things that can work out there on the floor. And so far, we've seen that through the first four games of the year. It's been a different guy stepping up every night to make a contribution. Last night, it was really Biggie and Ed Davis that kind of led the charge. But when you're getting that type of production off the bench and they're bringing that type of charge defensively and rebounding-wise, it's going to do wonders for this basketball team And I can't give enough credit to those two guys right now, especially Ed Davis, who in a contract year, healthy, and you could see it in his attitude, his demeanor. You could tell he feels good. He he was out there taking the fight to the Pelicans, and that's what you need to do against bigs like that. Last year, we were just wondering what was wrong with Ed Davis. Why wasn't he playing like he did his first years in Portland? And we found out, what was it, March, that he was dealing with a shoulder injury all year and was going to have surgery. And when he, when he, when we got the notification that he was out the rest of the year after having surgery, like, wait, what? Yeah. Ed Davis is hurt? And Eric made a good point earlier today. Uh, some players, more so than others, are really dependent upon their strong side. And he's left-handed, and he can't operate with the right hand. And so now you can see it. Hey, I can play better basketball with two arms. He's going to be a, a valuable member of this team moving into the future because of what he can bring off the bench. And I've said it before, this is an elite rebounding team with the players they have now. When you've got tough guys, good luck trying to get a rebound when you got Ed Davis and Caleb Swanigan on the floor together. Those guys just, you know, it's like Dennis Rodman or Jason Williams or some of the great rebounders of the past. Some guys get yeah. the ball because they want it more than other guys. Biggie and Ed Davis want it, and they play like that. That mentality is nice to have on your team because you can spark the guys around you 
when the offense isn't going by your energy and your effort. We talked before the season, Chad, about how important offensive rebounds were and how important it was to not let the opposition get offensive rebounds. Really, an offensive rebound is as good as forcing a turnover because you're getting an extra possession. You're getting an extra shot and you're taking away an extra possession or an extra shot from the other team. So if you look at the turnovers last night, the Pelicans had 17. The Blazers had 19 turnovers. That's embarrassing when you have 19 turnovers. Coming off 16 against Milwaukee when they lost that game in the end. It's it's unacceptable, as a matter of fact. You can't do that. But when you take the the 17 turnovers that you forced, and you had seven steals and seven blocks, and you add in 18 offensive rebounds, that's like getting 35 turnovers. You turned the ball over 19 times last night. The Pelicans had four offensive rebounds. So that's like getting 23 turnovers. And when you look at it that way and you look at the total number of shots, the Blazers took 88 shots last night. They made 33 of them. And they made 10 threes. The threes are about the same 10 to 9. But the Blazers took 88 shots. The Pelicans took 76 shots. And when you're shooting about the same number of, of three-point attempts as the other team and your threes are about the same, it's remarkable how close those numbers were last night. The three-pointers, Blazers 10 of 29, Pelicans 9 of 30. The free throws, Blazers 27 of 33, Pelicans 24 of 32. So when you add in the offensive rebounds to go along with the turnovers and you take 12 more shots than the other team, make the same amount of threes, make the same amount of uh, free throws, you're going to win the game because you get 12 extra possessions than the other team. And that is crucial to winning close games. Yeah, there's really three things when it comes to rebounding. When you control the defensive glass, you control the tempo, and you put pressure on the other team to make their first shot. And then on offense, like you said, with the offensive boards, you can you can survive a bad shooting night by giving yourself second and third opportunities. But the bench, it goes far beyond Caleb Swanigan and Ed Davis. Pat Connaughton came off the bench and provided a spark. He was effective. He's been effective so far this year. Myers Leonard had a better game than Damian Lillard last night. Yeah. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. He made a contribution. Just go up and down the line. Evan Turner continued his strong play. He's been one of the most impressive Blazers through camp, preseason, and so far uh, the first four games of the regular season. Bench was supposed to be a strength last year. It ended up being a glaring weakness. But this year, I think this is legit. The Blazers have a deeper team. That's a lot tougher with hungrier guys, and that's going to pay dividends in the future because you're going to have more nights like last night where the starters don't have it going. When you when Stotts can go to the bench and bring in guys he can depend on, it's going to make a big difference, especially when you're going up against a group like you know the Pelicans last night who are out there scrapping, and they got some tough guys. But the Blazers responded with toughness of their own, 11 deep, and it showed that Terry Stotts is going to have a challenge moving forward. He's got more than eight guys who could play. Yeah. How do I find the right combination of guys out there on the floor? And I think it's going to be different on a nightly basis. You mentioned 11 guys played last night. Well, Myers Leonard played six minutes, but those were six really good minutes. Caleb Swanigan played 16 minutes after not playing the night before. And when you have depth at a position, you have a lot of numbers, whether you agree with who's better than who, 
you have a lot of numbers of guys who can play the four and the five. And Noah Vonley is going to be back in a week. Yeah, exactly. You've got Swanigan and Myers. You'll have Vonley, Ed Davis, Nurk, obviously, Farouk. You've got a lot of guys who can play two positions. Well, there are only 96 minutes to go around between those two positions. And they all bring different skill sets. Myers is a different player than Ed Davis, who is a different player than Vonley, who's a different player than Swanigan, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So when you have a volume, a lot of players who play the same positions, who are different styles of players, it depends on who's on the other side, who is playing, who is in foul trouble, who is injured, what the matchups look like, and you can afford to tinker with things if you're Terry Stotts to get the the right chess match and have the right players out there against the other personnel depending on the night. Yeah, and what what we what we learned last night is that he's probably going to stick with these guys as starters. Dame, CJ Nurk, uh Alfru Camino and Mo Harkless, but those different combinations can be with that second unit when he determines who's going to come in based on matchups. So I think that's a good thing. Um I do have an update for you too. Yesterday we were talking about Eric Bledsoe and, you know, the Suns are looking to move him yeah. because of how things have uh, kind of fallen out there. Um, I had a source tell me that the Blazers discussed it. They looked at it. But one of their concerns was something that you brought up. How would he fit in in a situation where he's a starting quality player, a really good NBA player? How would he fit in coming off the bench behind Damon CJ? So that was one of their concerns. They're not going to make the move based on what I was told. Yeah. But it's something that they they discussed. And that's what I want because the reality is Dame and CJ are great, but after that right now, big question marks with Shabazz and Pat Connaughton. Sure. Heaven forbid something were to happen to Dame or CJ. I think you you do need to add somebody. You, you have to add somebody this year, whatever it is in the backcourt. But with Bledsoe, you're talking about a guy who is in four years in Phoenix who has started every game that he's played. He has been a starter. He started a few games here and there with the Clippers and for a guy who's clearly unhappy, that's his issue right now. It's not that he's not a good player. It's not that the Suns don't want his contract. He doesn't want to be there. He's unhappy. He is causing issues in the locker room. He's making the GM look bad. He's making everybody else look bad. And they just want to rid themselves of that player a lot of uh, in a similar way to how the Kings wanted to get rid of DeMarcus Cousins for a couple of years. So if you're going to bring a guy like that in, you've got to make sure that he's going to be happy in your situation and isn't going to be a cancer in the locker room. And if he's used to starting and now he's got to be a, a bench player, maybe he will accept it. I don't know. But that's that's a concern to wonder if a guy who has now made it known that he's unhappy and when he's unhappy, he's going to go public with it. How are you going to keep him happy when he's not one of your important players? Yeah, I, I mean, whether it's Bledsoe or whoever else, I'm just concerned. Keep an eye on that. Again, Damon and CJ are great. But if one of those guys goes down, they don't have anybody in Shabazz or Connaughton who can play meaningful minutes as a starter to be able to uh, pick up the slack until one of those guys comes back. Yeah. It's a weakness. They knew it coming in, and, and it's something we'll have to keep an eye on. All right, coming up next, we're going to go around the Pac-12, and we will get uh, a preview of each game this week. Jim Mora said something very interesting about... Don James, who's going to have a statue of him and his great long tenure at Washington unveiled this weekend in Seattle. We also have one more opportunity for you to qualify to go see the Blazers and the Warriors in Oakland. We will call another name in five minutes from now. You've got the Rip City Drive with Travis and Chad on your home of the Blazers, Rip City Radio. 
It's time to go around the Pac-12. The Rip City Drive with Travis and Chad on Rip City Radio. All right, Trav, we start with a Thursday night affair. Stanford, number 20 in the nation, is going to be at Oregon State. The Beavers looking for their first conference win. David Shaw was asked about, you know, being a team that starts slow but comes on strong late. I think for us, we're not afraid to falter early. Not that we try to, not that we want to, but it doesn't, it doesn't deter us because we know that we're building, we know that we're growing, and we can make adjustments and changes. We're also not afraid of people jumping on and off our bandwagon. You know, that doesn't bother us at all, whereas I think some, some people, like when they lose a couple, then the wheels fall off. For us, hey, we lost a couple games. We didn't play as well. There's things that we can do to play better. We're all in this thing together, and we go back, and if people pat us on the back now, okay, that's fine. But the same people are patting us on the back now, the same people that were hating us you know, a month ago. So that doesn't affect us either. Um, we, have, we have an opportunity to improve every week, and we want to take advantage of that. All right, Travis. I guess the big question is how do the Beavers slow down Bryce Love? They don't. They don't slow him down. Look, let's just be real. Let's be honest for a minute. Oregon State hasn't slowed anybody down on the ground this year. They've gotten progressively better in the last three or four weeks, and they came out and looked really good at times against Colorado, especially early in the football game, but they're not going to slow Bryce Love down. Who has slowed Bryce Love down? Nobody. The only time where he's been slowed down is when he's sitting on the bench after scoring three touchdowns and running for 150 yards through 10 minutes of football. Nobody's going to slow him down, and it's really interesting with Stanford because every year we say, well, Stanford's going to be pretty good, or maybe this is the year they're not, and then maybe they start out slow when we write them off. And then what happens? They win, and they win, and they win, and they win, and they win eight games. They win nine games. They win ten games, and we said it after they lost to San Diego State. We said it after they lost to USC that, okay, here it is. This is finally the year where Stanford takes a step back, where David Shaw doesn't have a really good season. And now where are we? They're ranked number 20 in the country. They have one of the top three or four Heisman candidates in the country. They look really good offensively. Their defense is back up to par. So I don't care if it's week three, week one, week five, week seven. When are we going to learn to stop counting out David Shaw and Stanford? Coaching matters. Bryce Love right now. Almost 1,400 yards and 11 touchdowns rushing on the season. On Saturday, and by the way, the Beavers and Cardinal will kick off at 6 Thursday. You can catch it on our home of the Beavers, 1190-KEX. 11 o'clock Saturday on the Pac-12 Network. California is going to be playing at Colorado. The big question for the Buffs is who's going to play quarterback? Will it be Montez or Neuer? Wilcox, Coach Wilcox was asked, if that changes their preparation for the game. Uh, they're both good players, and uh, you know we're going to prepare for their offense and what they've done. I don't suspect that it would change a lot of their offense uh, in terms of the run game and pass game. Uh, obviously, the quarterback's heavily involved uh, and also involved in the quarterback runs. So we're going to prepare for what we've seen on tape. Well, Trav, these two teams here, not challenging for a conference title, yeah. but they're competing for a bowl game. They are, and if you're looking at the quarterback position for Colorado, They've got two very young quarterbacks. Steven Montez got some starts last year when Sefo Lufau was injured, and this year he hasn't been great. He's made some mistakes. He has made some young player mistakes. But the other option is Sam Neuer, the redshirt freshman quarterback out of Beaverton who has a big arm. I love his arm. He has got a terrific arm, but his biggest issue is that he hasn't played very much. The experience isn't there yet for Sam Neuer, so... 
is he going to make some mistakes? So for uh, for Cal at this point, your job defensively is to make them make mistakes. Make a quarterback who this year has shown that he has a propensity to make mistakes. Force him to throw bad footballs. Force him to make mistakes. And if he's not the guy who ends up playing in this game, if it is Sam Neuer who played a good chunk of the Washington State game, get in his face. Make him throw interceptions. The one game he got a lot of reps in was against Washington State. 7 of 18 for 53 yards against Washington State. You don't think Cal's defense can do the same, get after and harass a young quarterback? To me, that's what this game comes down to in a nutshell is, can you force Colorado's young quarterbacks to make mistakes? 12.30 on Saturday, ABC and ESPN2. UCLA travels to number 12, Washington. On Friday, the late, great Don James, former head coach at Washington, won the national championship in 91. He's going to have a statue unveiled. Jim Mora Jr. shared some wonderful thoughts about what Don James meant to him. Um, I was fortunate to go play for him, and so I was able to be around him every day and, and see him in a different light than I did growing up, where he was a friend of the family and my dad's boss, and now all of a sudden I got to see the meticulous uh, detail that uh, he brought to everything he did, um, the amazing organization, um, the discipline, um, the toughness um, that I think was reflected in all of his University of Washington teams. I'm still really close to a lot of my teammates. And, you know, whenever we're together, there's just great reflections on what Coach James meant to us. As a coach myself, you know, I've been fortunate to be around um, – some, some great ones that have all had uh, an influence on me in one way or another. And I would say that there's probably not a day that goes by in my coaching career that I don't reflect on something that Coach James uh, said or did or demonstrated that had an impact on me. You know, Trav, normally we hear Jim Mora in a frustrated state of mind. It's nice to hear those uh, heartwarming words about Don James, who's a legend. Is Washington in danger here at all because they have to go up against a great quarterback in Josh Rosen? Of course they are. Look, I think every week in the Pac-12, whoever you're playing, except for at this point Oregon State, you're in danger. Josh Rosen is an incredible young quarterback. He's going to go to the NFL. He's going to be a top-five pick. There's a reason why he started off the season the way that he did. Look, Texas A&M's defense is not Washington's, but look what he did in the second half, really in the fourth quarter of that Texas A&M game. He can do it, and he's going to have to do it because for the second straight year, UCLA's run game is embarrassing. UCLA's offensive line is terrible, and it's all Josh Rosen. If you take Rosen and you put him on Washington, he is a better quarterback than Jake Browning is. Washington probably plays for a national championship. Wins or not, I don't know, but they're probably playing for a national championship, and they're a better football team. Rosen is that good. So when you do have a quarterback on the other side, that can make big plays and huge plays. There's always that danger that they're going to come in and get you. 245 Saturday at Autzen Stadium on the Pac-12 Network. Utah travels to Oregon to take on the Ducks. Darren Carrington's going to make his return to Autzen Stadium. He was let go from the Ducks program. The Utes grabbed him before the start of the season. Here is Coach Whittingham on Darren Carrington. Maybe his biggest strength is his catch radius. You know, he's got such long arms and, and such a... Uh, yeah, you know, big hands and a big frame, and he's you put the ball anywhere within six or eight feet of him, and he's going to come away with it. I mean, that's his. He's got a unique ability to, uh, 
you know, to come away with those contested catches, and and uh, our quarterbacks really have a lot of confidence in them. It's going to be a big moment for Darren Carrington. What are you looking for in this matchup here with the Ducks? And you, it's two teams that are, you know, having their issues on offense. To me, it comes down to the offensive line for both teams. Darren Carrington is the best wide receiver for either team in this game. He obviously caught the winning touchdown last year for the Ducks against Utah. The best running back in this game is Royce Freeman. And Royce Freeman has been phenomenal again this year. The leading rusher in the history of the University of Oregon. But the Ducks cannot throw the football. So if that's the case, and you still have a very good front seven at Utah, even if they are banged up, what are you going to do if you're Utah's defense? You're going to stack the box, you're going to get after Royce Freeman, and you are going to make Braxton Burmeister throw the football because he hasn't proven that he can. And if that's the case, you need your safeties to do their job, which Utah still has a good secondary. He hasn't been able to throw the ball in that 7 to 15 yard range. They don't even attempt those passes. It's all screens or play action trying the big play. So if you're the Utah defense in this game, you come after Royce Freeman, you load up the box until they burn you. And if they burn you with one big play downfield, it's not the end of the world. Then you just have to stay honest there. But I think you get one-on-one coverage on the outside if you're Utah and you bring seven, eight guys in the box every single play and force them to get the ball downfield through the air, which right now I don't have any confidence that they can do. If you're the Oregon Ducks, you double cover uh, Darren Carrington. You make it so Huntley or Williams cannot get the ball to Carrington no matter what, and you make them get the ball to somebody else, whether it's on the ground or through the air, and Utah really hasn't proven that they can do that a whole lot this year. The last three weeks, they've scored 57 points. That's an average of about 18 points a game. It's, it's okay. But you're not going to beat the Ducks if you score 18 points. So to me, this is all about which defense is going to be able to force which team out of their comfort zone. That's going to come down to the offensive line of which team is going to give their quarterback more time to throw the football and who's going to be able to run the ball better. Darren Carrington has been really good. 45 catches, 649 yards, and five touchdowns. But in the last four weeks... He's only scored one touchdown because defenses are aware of that. And with the bad quarterback play, they're not letting the quarterbacks get the ball to number nine. Surprising to hear Coach Whittingham tell Travis and I yesterday that this deep in the season, he's not even sure what type of football team they are. 6.30 on the Pac-12 Network, number 15, Washington State, will travel to Arizona to take on the Wildcats. Rich Rodriguez said, you know what? Khalil Tate's a lot faster than we thought. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. He's. We've seen some of the stuff in practice, but he's the. He's run faster in the games than he has in practice. So uh, we thought he was pretty fast, but he was. Uh, he's been running even faster, and I think he's worked himself into pretty good shape. But uh, you know, sometimes, most of the time, we can kind of judge, you know, what how a guy will perform in a game you know, by how he practices. But uh, Khalil's certainly his uh, open field speed has has been. Uh, not not a surprise, but uh, better than we thought. 
Hey, Trav, the total set at 64 and a half. How many points are we going <laughs> to see in this bad boy? Uh, maybe 100 in this game. Do you trust the defense right now of Arizona to stop Washington State? No. If they're going to win this game, and they'll have to outscore the Cougs. Do you trust anybody to stop Khalil Tate right now? I don't. Well, you would think that just based on numbers that they would be able to dictate what he can and cannot do with some tape and a chance to kind of evaluate their offense. But what a special player. And when he gets in the open field, I mean, he can take off and scoot. The last three games that he's started, he's attempted 14 passes a game. That's a hard recipe to win football games in the Pac-12, but they're 3-0 and in those games, scoring 47, 45, and 45 points in the last three weeks against Colorado, UCLA, and in California because they can run the football. Khalil Tate, three games starting this year. 327 yards and four touchdowns, 230 yards and two touchdowns, 137 yards and one touchdown for a quarterback. On the ground. On the ground. He has more rushing yards than anybody on either side in this football game. He might be the best player, most dynamic player in this football game on Saturday. Luke Falk, I wouldn't call him a dynamic football player. He's an incredible quarterback and a great passer, but he's not a dynamic runner or anything like that. Can Washington State stop Khalil Tate? And can Arizona limit the passing game for Washington State? And I think the answer to both of those questions is no. So I think you're dead on with the over-under. Washington State's a three-point favorite in this game, which is, is kind of surprising. But Arizona right now, they can, they can score with anybody. And it's because their offense has completely changed with Khalil Tate at quarterback. Rich Rod doing a heck of a job this year. Cats 5-2 and two on the season. The nightcapper, 745 on ESPN. Number 21, USC coming off that blowout loss at Notre Dame. Traveling to take on the Arizona State Sun Devils. Sun Devils Stadium at ASU coming off big wins at home against Washington. On the road against Utah. The big surprise has been the defense. How have they been able to turn it around? Here's Todd Graham. Well, we felt like we were good up front, and we felt like we were good at linebacker. I mean, uh, we just, uh, you know, we had uh, we had some personnel issues in the secondary, and and that's one of the things I think we addressed in the offseason. And we're a lot better. We have a lot better personnel in the back end, and uh, therefore we've gotten them. And Coach Bennett's done a, just a marvelous job at developing our guys, and and especially the back end, the secondary, and adapting to what they can do, and so. Uh, you know that that's been that's been a key. I think the key thing that I knew was going to be a lot better because our personnel is so much better in the secondary. What do you expect here, Travis? I mean, the Trojans are reeling after getting whacked by Notre Dame, and ASU is a hot football team. Yeah, and what he talked about there with the back end of their defense, their defense has been really good up front all year. It's the secondary that they had questions with, and we talked about that with Todd Graham and Pac-12 Media Day at just how bad their defense last year in the secondary was horrific. It was terrible. I think it might have been the worst worst secondary in all the country. Yeah, it was definitely the worst secondary in, in all uh, the Power Five conferences. But what have they done the last two weeks? Against Washington, Jake Browning threw for 139 yards. <laughs> 17 of 30 with an average yards per pass of 4.6. It wasn't just what they did against the run. It was how they absolutely dominated against the pass. Well, the following week against Utah... The Utes threw for 155 yards for an average of 4.4 yards per pass and four interceptions. Arizona has won the last two games because they haven't let teams have a balanced offense against them. And now USC, who is reeling. They came off a bad, bad game last week against Notre Dame. 
And again, Sam Darnold has thrown 10 interceptions in eight games. If they can force mistakes and if they can get after Sam Darnold with their very good front seven and not let receivers get open as those plays develop downfield and have to come back for the ball, you're going to see Darnold throw another two or three interceptions. And Arizona State can pull off that upset. And at this point, would it even be an upset? Arizona State's four and three. They're at home with a really good defense. USC is six and two, who just got whacked last week and has lost two of three. I give props to Todd Graham. He turned his play calling duties on defense over to Phil Bennett. And instead of being aggressive and blitzing in the fashion that Graham would, Bennett has just mixed it up. He's playing coverage. He's given the uh, offenses a lot of different looks, and they're having great success. That game kicks off at 745 on ESPN, and that is around the Pac-12. But, Travis, it's time to fly away to the Bay, my friend. Yes, it certainly is. We have your chance to win a trip for you and a friend to see the Blazers at the Warriors on December 11th. When we call your name here in just a second, you will have 15 minutes to call 503-248-0620. You'll be entered into our drawing to win two tickets, hotel, and airfare. Thanks to our friends at Delta Airlines and to our presenting sponsor, Battery Exchange. We know that no fans of energy like Blazers fans. Now is your chance to make your voice heard on the road. Thanks to Battery Exchange. Batteries for everything with 12 locations to serve you. Now, if you have not signed up yet, You've got plenty of time, more than a week. Head over to RipCityRadio.com, click on the big button up top that says Fly Away to the Bay, enter your information, and we will call a name every hour on Rip City Mornings and the Rip City Drive between now and next Friday, and we will pick a winner Friday the 3rd at 5.15 p.m. Here is the next name. We have Rick Henry. Rick Henry, you've got 15 minutes to call 503-248-248. 0620. If you know Rick, tell him to tune in. Call 503-248-0620. Rick Henry, you've got 15 minutes. 503-248-0620. Clayton Kershaw is changing the way the story is going to be told. Travis will tell you what that means next. It's the Rip City Drive with Travis and Chad right here on your home of the Blazers, Rip City Radio. We've all thrown down a couple of bucks on a game, right? Uh, you know, win some, lose some. But Travis and Chad take it a step further. I got in a Hawaii game. I know degenerate's been on a Hawaii game. It's time for the Degenerate Dime of the Day on the Rip City Drive. Brought to you by DPI Solar. Imagine if you never had to pay an electricity bill again. Visit dpisolar.com. Chad, my streak is over. Nine straight games without a loss, and I lost yesterday. I took the over in the Blazers, Pelicans, and lost. So I'm 0-1-1 for the week. You're 1-1. You took the Blazers last night by 5. They won by 10. Listener Matthew took the Dodgers. They beat the Astros. He is 2-0 this week. So what do you got? Well, first off, I think we're dealing with a legit player this week in our contestant. This guy's been down in Vegas. He's been up and early getting me his picks. This guy's got some inside info. He's sharp. I'm going to go with the Minnesota Timberwolves tonight, plus 2.5 at Detroit. They're coming off a bad loss. I expect them to bounce back and get the win tonight. Uh, what is listener Matthew got tonight? The L.A. Dodgers. He likes them in game two. He likes Rich Hill, and he's ready to ride the white and blue tonight. All right, I'm going to go back to the NBA tonight, Chad. This game actually started a little bit ago. I'm going to take the Denver Nuggets on the road at the Charlotte Hornets by one and a half. So they got to win by more than a point and a half. Right now, it's early. Second quarter, Hornets lead the Nuggets 27-23. Well, Travis, first off, 
Happy birthday, my friend. Oh, why, thank you, Chad. How old are you today? I am 36 years old. Well, congratulations. What do you got planned for your day? Uh, well, I've had a nice day here at work. I'm going to keep it real simple tonight. I'm going to go home. My wife's going to make me dinner. We're going to watch the World Series, have a nice relaxing night at home. And then tomorrow night, she hasn't told me what's going on yet, but she's planned something nice. I'm sure it's a dinner or something like that. Yeah, I heard about something that's going on tomorrow night, so I think you're going to have a good time. I hope I've got so. some inside info on that as well. Ooh. It was nice, though. I woke up, and my wife had you know taken those little, um, you know, those happy birthday signs that are strung out in, in all the different letters. I woke up. She had hung that in the bathroom and uh, left a nice gift for me, a picture, a framed picture of her and I for uh, to put at my desk at work. Is that the one you showed me earlier today? Yes. That is a very nice gift. Yeah. You can look at that every day. It's the same way I put up the uh, pictures that Kaylee paints me or draws me at art yep. class. Same thing. You can remember something special every day. And I did get a phone call today from my nieces and nephew, and the four of them in unison sung happy birthday to me. Are those the same nieces and nephews that did a uh, liner for our show? <laughs> they are. They are the same ones. Lovely yes. voices. <laughs> exactly. Well, that's good, man. little World Series action tonight. What is she going to make you for dinner? Did you get to add input into that, or is she going to surprise you? Uh, I think she's going to surprise me. That's a good deal right there. Well, happy birthday, my friend. Thank you very, very much. Now, last night, you were out with some of your buddies, right? They yep. wanted to take you out for your birthday, so you had a chance to watch the Blazers, watch the World Series. Um, I know you're big on baseball. Love it. And Clayton Kershaw, such a great guy, such a great player, and the only real knock on him over the course of his long career has been postseason success, or lack thereof. How did he start changing that narrative last night? Well, his, his postseasons haven't been very good. His career in the LDS in six starts, uh, or I'm sorry, in, in seven starts, four and three, and then in the LCS in his career, and that includes this year, two and four. So it's not great. Six and seven, including the games that he won this year. And then last night, he comes out and throws one of the all-time great performances in World Series history. There's a reason why that game went two and a half hours and was the shortest postseason game in 25 years. What he did last night, seven innings through 83 pitches, 11 strikeouts, no walks, was only the second pitcher in World Series history to strike out at least 11 with no walks. The last one, 1949, Don Newcomb against the Yankees in the World Series. And it was, it was brilliant, and it set the tone. He was unhittable last night. And I think you could, you could tell just how much he had the Astros hitters baffled by the amount of good pitches that they were taking for called third strikes. And I'm not talking about his nasty curveball that would drop in for called strike three. I'm talking about fastballs that they would watch, you know, come right down the middle, not middle, middle, but middle in, middle out, and watch those pitches go by because they were expecting something else. And he had the hitters on their heels. Aside from the home run from Bregman last night, there really wasn't anything that the Astros did through those seven innings. And that that's as dominant as a performance on as big of a stage as you're going to get. And if he ends up coming out in game five, if they get there and has a similar performance, that's finally going to quiet the people down that Clayton Kershaw is not a good postseason pitcher. You think the Astros can get their offense going on the road? They struggled on the road against the Yankees. They struggled last night. They've got to put some runs across that plate. Yeah, they do. But they also have Justin Verlander going tonight, who has been incredible since coming over from the Detroit Tigers. Who do you give the edge to in that matchup? I love Rich Hill. I'm a big fan of his curveball. Justin Verlander obviously is a tough dude. What do you think? I'm going to give the edge to Verlander because he's just been so dominant, and Rich Hill has never really pitched in a situation like this before. This is a guy who, in his career, 
10-plus years, this is only the second time in his career that he's had double-digit wins. And he's had a resurgence. He's pitched for a bunch of different teams. And finally, this is the Rich Hill that we thought we were going to get a number of years ago when he was with the Cubs. And this is the best season that he's had. But I, I can't count against Justin Verlander. I still think the Dodgers probably win the game tonight if they get up to the bullpen. But Verlander is going to be the reason why they win this game if they do. What's interesting now looking ahead is what does Dave Roberts do with Clayton Kershaw? Because in the past, the question for Kershaw has been, are they burning him out? Are they using him too much? So it doesn't look like he's going to pitch in game four, whether they're you know down two games to one or up two games to one or up 3-0. He's not going to pitch in game four. They're going to hold him off for game five. So he is pitching on a full rest as much as he can. So what that also means is that he's not going to start a game seven if they get there. He'll be available out of the bullpen, but they're not going to throw Clayton Kershaw out there uh, on short rest in game four. Yeah, I think that's a mistake. <laughs> I think you would go with Kershaw in game four because you want him to be in that position where he's available in game seven, Trav. This is one of those moments where I understand you've got to think about the player and making sure you protect his arm, but you get to this situation, you never know if you're going to get another sniff at it. I would put him out there for game four and then have him ready to roll for game seven. Well, what, what I think it is, I don't think they're concerned about uh, his arm. I think they're concerned about his effectiveness because in the postseason, historically, he has not pitched well on short rest. So would you rather wait till game five and get a full 100% Clayton Kershaw or have him out there in game four or you know rely on, on, on Wood in game four and then save Kershaw to be 100% rested for game five. I think part of it does matter. I mean, if you're down, if the Astros win the next two games, you really want Clayton Kershaw to be out there. But it makes sense to have the guy be completely rested and ready to go and get a full effective Kershaw if you don't think he's going to go out there and be fully effective on short rest in game four. Yeah, I understand that. But for me, in those moments, I want my guy. I want the horse up there on the bump. But you're right. They've got the numbers, and they've broken all this down, so maybe that's the best decision. Man, he was great last night. He's such a good guy. Yeah. You know, down in San Francisco, Giant fans, of course, they hate the Dodgers, but they laugh at the idea that Kershaw is the best pitcher in baseball because of Mad Bum's phenomenal success in the postseason and what he's done in the World Series. And Kershaw considered widely to be the best regular season pitcher, and, and he's been like that for several years, Trav. Yeah. But he's never been able to get it done in the postseason. I'm glad that he's finally having that type of success so people can get off his back because I think some of that criticism is unwarranted in some of the circumstances the Dodgers have been in in the past. Yeah, I think it is, too. And you look at what he did against the the Diamondbacks in game one. He didn't pitch great. gave up four solo home runs. But he won the game because his offense was so good and they got off to that big lead that, well, we don't look at, excuse me, the performance from Kershaw and say, well, he didn't pitch well. If he had given up the same four home runs in, in that game and the Dodgers lost because they only managed two runs in that game, we'd be looking at Clayton Kershaw completely differently now that, oh, well, see, there he is. He didn't get it done in the post. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. <gasps> No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. 
postseason again. But what happens when you don't get run support? Sonny Gray pitched really good for the Yankees in the postseason. But in his career of 23 innings pitched in the postseason, he has had zero runs of run support. Here is uh, Justin Verlander's career World Series line. 0-3 with a 7.20 earned run average in three games with, let's see, in 15 innings pitched. So he's averaging five runs a start. 18 hits, 15 runs, 12 earned, four home runs in three starts. So in the two series that he pitched in for the Tigers, Justin Verlander in the World Series does not have a very good track record while he's 11-2 and in the other rounds of the playoffs. So we'll see now if that narrative about Verlander being a bad World Series pitcher is going to change tonight. I was talking with, I thought about you last night, I was talking with Dwight James, and, you know, he's a big baseball fan like you. And he told me that he's so impressed with the Dodgers and the Astros in terms of how they use analytics and how they use the analytics to help them win baseball games, to find players, and to have success in different types of situations. He said that the Dodgers have come up with an algorithm to where they can develop a pitch sequence for particular players. And they actually did that in the NLCS where they were able to come up with certain sequences for different players to pitch to them based on the lack of success they've had in the past. No kidding. They developed an actual algorithm for that. So when Chris Bryant comes up to the plate, they know exactly what sequence they're going to throw to him so they can strike him out. Well, every every pitch in Major League Baseball is charted by the pitching coach or by you know a reliever or somebody who's not in the game. And then for years, what you do is by hand and by brain go through and chart out what works against what guy. Every level does this. Even when I do games for the University of Portland, they've got two guys behind me at their computers that are charting every single pitch to map out what works when. So, yeah, it makes sense that you can get some kind of algorithm But to develop a, an actual program, yeah. an algorithm to develop a sequence for particular players, it's that's taken to a brand new level. It's absolutely brilliant. Yeah, so the godfather blew my mind. The Blazers were awful last night in so many ways, and that's what I love most about the win. We'll tell you what that means next. It's the Rip City Drive with Travis and Chad here on your home of the Portland Trailblazers, Rip City Radio. It's time, it's time for the Rip City Drive. The Rip City Drive with Travis Demers and Chad Dewing on your home of the Blazers, Rip City Radio. on the Rip City Drive on a Wednesday afternoon. Getting excited for World Series Game 2, which is starting in a couple of minutes, Chad. But don't worry, I'll be focused on our show. I'll be much better than I was when the Yankees were playing on TV uh, last couple of weeks. I'll be able to handle it. I'm not worried about you watching the World Series without the Yankees being involved. I think you'll be okay. All right. Last night... Boy, Dodger Stadium looks beautiful, by the way. It's gorgeous, man. It reminds me of the time we went there during Pac-12 Media Day when we were down there in L.A. What a beautiful crib. That was the first time I'd ever been there, and I had these visions in my head of the 88 World Series with Kirk Gibson's home run and the palm trees and the brake lights from everyone realizing, oh, crap, they just won the game, and we left in the seventh inning because we're idiots. Uh, And to see it in person, it looks exactly the same as it did 30 years ago, man. It... It's awesome. That was one of the coolest places I've ever been. Last night, we saw the Blazers start the home schedule with a win for the 17th consecutive year. That was awesome. The fact that they won is great. The fact that they're 3-1 and one right now is very, very good, and that's exactly what you would have hoped for to start the season. But it was an ugly, ugly basketball game. It really was. Let me run these things off to you, Rip City. And you, uh, you explain to me how did the Blazers win this game. 
Yusuf Nurkic, who I begged before the game last night to stay out of foul trouble. He didn't. Three fouls midway through the first quarter. He went to the bench, played just 20 minutes. Dame looked like someone slipped him a Mickey the night before. Three of 16, 0 of 7 in the first half with just two points. He was brutal. One of the worst games I've seen him play. CJ had a great fourth, but was lifeless for three quarters. They shot below 40%. Boogie Cousins went wild with 39 points and 13 rebounds. They committed 19 turnovers. That's going to drive me crazy. That coming off a 16 turnover game against Milwaukee. And to top things off, they went scoreless during the fourth quarter for six minutes. No field goals. So we ask yourself, how do you win a game like that? Well, you outwork your opponent. You rebound the heck out of the basketball. And you get after it on the defensive end. And that's exactly what happened. They did it with depth. The bench was a major contributor. But they won that game because they scrapped and outworked their opponent, Travis. And the best part in all of this, good teams find ways to win games when they're having a night that things aren't going their way. And not only that, but that's a game that these Blazers last year, the year before, maybe during the Terry Stotts era, wouldn't have won because Damon CJ had such a bad night. I was so thrilled after the game last night because they won ugly. And I know, just like you do and most of you out there who watch basketball know, you got to win on nights when yeah. it's ugly. You do, and that's something that hasn't happened for this team in a long time. And and we were talking about this before the show. I said, you know, the last year or two, you took that another step and said, really, in the entire Terry Stotts era. Yeah. And the only thing that we've seen for the last six years that's been consistent is that Damian Lillard and Myers Leonard are on this team coached by Terry Stotts. That's it. Everything else has changed over and over and over again. There aren't very many coaches that can take over a team that's pretty good get them to the playoffs, have to start over from scratch with a bunch of pieces that didn't work out for other teams and get back to a similar level and then basically have to start from scratch all over again. General managers, owners, team presidents in the NBA don't give coaches the opportunity to keep turning things over like that. And we've seen that. This team is so different than they were when Stotts took over, they're very different than they were two years ago or three years ago. But you're right. The one thing that stayed the same is they haven't been able to consistently win ugly. It doesn't mean they, they've never won an ugly game before. It means that consistently they don't win games like they did last night very often. Last night was just one game. We'll have to see if they can continue to win that way, but it's a good sign early on in this season. Yes, and the reason why, and it's something that we've talked about before, the NBA season, it's long, 82 games. What happens is you're going to hit stretches where your stars aren't making shots or you can't get buckets or you go through five or six minutes during the course of a game where you can't hit a field goal, but the objective is still to win the game. So yeah. you ask yourself, if our offense isn't going and Damon CJ don't have it, how do you win those games? Well, this year because of either guys are healthy or different personnel or some of the internal development, they have the makeup of a team that can win ugly because – Caleb Swanigan can come off the bench and get after it with the rebounding and the offensive glass. Ed Davis with his defense and his toughness. Pat Connaughton was scrappy last night. Myers Leonard played better than Damon made a contribution. It's just a different group of guys that's tougher. And so far, through four games, they've had a willingness and a desire to compete on the defensive end. That's why I'm so excited because those are the things that you need. The, the offense is going to be there. They have Damon CJ and Terry Stotts as a coach. The offense is going to be just fine. But you can't always rely on Damon CJ and the offense to knock down shots, to make threes, to execute. You're going to have nights where it goes sideways. You still have to win the game. You know what I loved last night, Chad, is that 
Turner would go down, and I'm thinking more of along the lines in the fourth quarter, Turner would go down and brick a three, and then the Blazers would get a stop, and then they'd have a couple of putback opportunities underneath on the other end, and Swanigan missed one, and then went back on the other end, and they forced a bad shot, or they forced a turnover, or got a rebound, and then went back on the other end and missed a shot, but got an offensive rebound. They missed a putback, but got an offensive rebound. They There were some points in that game where everybody struggled offensively. Basically, everybody struggled offensively for the whole game, except for CJ in the fourth quarter, and Ed Davis at a couple of points last night. But they didn't take their struggles on offense and let it carry over to the defensive end. That's they- such a key point, Trav, because a lot of guys, offensive players, or guys who are oriented on that end, when they're not making shots, they'll hang their head. Yep. And they fail to do other things to help your team win. That's why I appreciate Al Camino so much. He has a lot of nights where he doesn't make shots, but he finds other ways through assists, rebounds, steals, to pepper the stat sheet to make a contribution. Yeah, and I loved to see guys getting back on defense after they would miss a shot because they weren't just going to let the Pelicans go down on the other end and, and score buckets. Last night was a game they lose in the past yeah. because they don't do that, because they don't get back on defense. And when Boogie Cousins was dominating the way that he was last night, there's usually somebody else who gets the job done as well because the Blazers defensively were not a well-rounded team, not a complete team, and they're still not a complete team defensively. Let's not all of a sudden just think they're, you know, the Pistons from the early 90s. They are not a complete defensive team by any stretch of the imagination, but the rebounding. Last night, you had eight different guys who grabbed at least five rebounds. It wasn't just one guy like Cousins having a big night, and if somebody wasn't in the game that was playing well or if, you know, the one guy missed a rebound. Somebody else was there all night. The rebounding with 18 rebounds was like getting 18 more turnovers. They're an elite rebounding team. I forgot the exact number. They were four or five rebounds shy of a franchise record. They dominated the glass, and their work on the offensive glass was sensational. We saw that in the uh, second chance points. Rebounding does three things for you. One, the defensive rebounding. You force teams, you put pressure on teams to make their first shot. Number two, when you're controlling the glass, you can control the tempo and play at the pace you want to play at. And then three, on a night like last night where you're not making shots, and they certainly weren't, you give yourself second and third opportunities to get putbacks, and that's critical in a game like that. So I'm so proud of the guys for the way they're working, for the way they're committing to the defensive end. You mentioned Evan Turner. Got to give him props, Trav. He had the best camp in preseason of anybody on the team. And Eric made a good point earlier. He was facilitating the offense better than Dame and CJ last night yeah. because they were in a funk. He was dynamite. He, he, he helps them defensively, but he's so valuable because he can handle the rock with uh, competence and set up the offense. And that, that's why Terry Stout's like him. And I'm telling you, it may not be today, but it's just a matter of time until Caleb Swagan plays his butt yeah. right into the starting lineup. He went at Boogie last night. There was a play in the second half where he challenged Boogie and hit a fadeaway in his face close to the rim. He got called for traveling. But when I saw that, I was like, I fist pumped because I'm like, yes, he didn't back down. Biggie Swanigan has got gigantic balls for a young player. I haven't seen anything like that in a long time. He's tough. He's aggressive. He's got a nose for the basketball. But he is not backing down to anybody. He's going to work his way into the starting lineup soon because he's just going to be – some guys just want it. You know, you hear this. It is true. It's not a cliche. Some guys want it more than others. Biggie wants the basketball more than most guys do, and you see it with the way he works. He had that, that play in the first half where he just stayed with the play, got himself into an ad one. It's like, mm, that's what I'm talking about. I love that type of effort, man. He was yeah. in the crowd. The crowd responded to Biggie. 
His teammates responded to him. He energizes things. Um, that's a pretty darn good player at number 26 in the first round. I think with Swanigan, Nurkic, Ed Davis being a healthy Ed Davis, um, Farouk at times, Vonley when he's healthy, they have some toughness in the front court. And the NBA is not a tough game anymore. There are very few teams that are tough basketball teams. So if you can get one or two guys that are tough in a good way, and I'm not talking about picking fights with guys or picking fights with a trainer like Blake Griffin or something like that. Well, Blake Griffin didn't pick a fight with his trainer. Or, or, or I saw the meme last night where the trainer was working on him and he did something really inappropriate. <laughs> I, I didn't see that. You got to forward that to me. You didn't see that? No, I haven't seen Highly it. Highly inappropriate. Highly really? inappropriate. I gotta, can you show this to me during the break? Oh, yeah. Good. I need to see It was this. one of those things I saw. I was like, oh, hope they don't have an HR department. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure they do. Uh, but the, the point is, Chad, is that all you need need is two or three guys and you'll be tougher than most teams in the NBA and the Blazers have that they can be tougher than most teams in the NBA they have guys that are going to be willing to stand up to Draymond Green when he's doing Draymond Green type things one other mention and I hate to do this but when you love somebody like I love my children you've got to discipline them sometimes and give them tough love yeah Yusuf Nurkic last night really gave me some problems I love Yusuf more than anybody no one's a bigger fan than me when it comes to Yusuf Nurkic Hey, Beast, let me ask you a question. What were you doing out there in the first quarter when you got sent to the bench with your third foul six minutes in? Why did you allow Boogie Cousins to draw you into his games and then you lost? What are you doing? And then on top of that, stop with the Euro flopping, Yusuf. You're big, you're bad, you're better than that. I don't want your Euro antics being brought into NBA basketball. And finally, stop getting hit in the face, and when you do... <laughs> Stop flopping around on the ground like you're playing soccer. The, the Euros, they just want to destroy the game. And when I see that, I have to correct Yusuf to make sure that he stays straight. Stay out of foul trouble. Don't get sucked into Boogie's games. And don't flop around like a soccer player. That stuff's no need for that garbage in the NBA game. Come on, Yusuf. Did you just say something negative about Yusuf Nurkic? I told you yesterday. What is this world coming to? I said it yesterday, Trav, that I love Yusuf, but I will crack whoever needs to be cracked. Like last night, Myers Leonard. Props to Myers for making a contribution. He played better than Dame. He did his job, and he made an impact. And that's good. I don't care if it's two minutes or five minutes or whatever, Trav. If he can make a contribution, then good for him. But Yusuf last night. What good are you to your team if you play 20 minutes because your ass is on the bench with three stupid fouls in six minutes? You're absolutely right. And then he played a little soft after that and didn't pick up another foul. Did you see him flopping around like I a did. fish? I did. It's like I thought someone shot him in the face. It's like, oh, no, he just got bumped. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> you got to protect that grill. All right, coming up next, we're going to talk some college football. Evan Moore, Pac-12 Networks, is going to join us. We'll get his thoughts on what the Ducks can do against Utah this weekend. Also, we've got another opportunity to qualify a listener to head to the Bay Area to see the Blazers and the Warriors in Oakland on December 11th. When you hear your name, you've got 15 minutes to call. We will call another name coming up next. You've got the Rip City Drive with Travis and Chad, and you're home of the Blazers, Rip City Radio. Now, a look at traffic on Rip City Radio 620. Come on, move it. From the Bedmard Traffic Center, 5 North is jammed up from the Fremont Bridge into Vancouver. The freeway crowds in both directions between I-84 and Macadam Avenue. Then 5 South slows at Highway 217 and again at I-205. And 205 North remains crowded from 65th into West Lynn. For real-time traffic updates, download the new Total Traffic app powered by Traffic Karma. Be traffic smart in the Bedmard Traffic Center. I'm Gail Cunningham. This report is brought to you by Think It Up. 
Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. I'm Nick Jonas, and I'm here to tell you about Think It Up, a new initiative to activate student-powered, teacher-led learning projects. Students and teachers, how can you spark great learning experiences in your classrooms today? Join us at ThinkItUp.org. We're giving you, the sixth man, a chance to win $1,000. Oh, yeah! Listen to Rip City Mornings and the Rip City Drive for your chance to win at the top of every hour. This country, you've got to make the money first. What would you do with a little extra cash to be well? Self-care isn't a luxury, it's a necessity. Take the time to do things that make you happy and keep you well. For more information from our partner, Wellbeing Trust, visit RipCityRadio.com, keyword be well. Hi, it's Mark Mason for DPI Solar. You know, you can own your own solar array. It's not a lease for as low as 80 bucks a month. That's right. You'll stop paying some or all of your electric bill. And instead of sending money to the electric company every month, now you invest that money into an asset on your home. Zero down financing, no upfront out-of-pocket costs, and the security of knowing the electric company won't be raising your bill for the power your solar panels make. Visit dpisolar.com or call 503-857-0099. dpisolar.com. Office Furniture Direct is the area's leader for office furniture at a fraction of its original price. Whether it's three or 300 recycled matching workstations, they have it. And now, Office Furniture Direct is your source for the best price and finest installation on new from the factory office systems. Find them online at officefurnituredirect-pdx.com or call 503-246-4900. Office Furniture Direct, Portland's most respected office furniture dealer. When shopping for car insurance, consider this. GEICO has been saving people money on car insurance for over 75 years. So if you're serious about savings, it's simple. Go to GEICO.com. After 75 years, they know how to save you money. Placed your debit card? Turn it off in the Wells Fargo app. When it turns up, turn it back on. Just another way we're building better every day. Lost or stolen debit cards must still be rewarded. See app for details. Wells Fargo Bank and A member FDIC. John's Marketplace, located on Southwest Multnomah Boulevard in the Multnomah Village, is home to over 800 bottled beers, 400 wines, and the best selection of kegs in Portland. While you're there, stop by the Multnomah Deli for a fresh sandwich or award winning burger. motor oil keeps your engine running at peak performance. Right now at O'Reilly Auto Parts, save on your next oil change when you purchase five quarts of Pennzoil high-mileage motor oil and a microguard filter for the price of Pennzoil conventional, just $24.99. Save big with Pennzoil oil at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Better parts, better prices every day. Limit supply. See store for details. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. Now, a Rip City forecast from the Standard TV and Appliance Weather Center. 
A weak weather system moving across the Pacific Northwest, giving us increased clouds, but so far not giving us any increased precipitation across the area. Daytime highs, upper 50s. Tonight, mostly cloudy skies, overnight lows in the mid to upper 40s, and sunshine returns on Thursday. I'm meteorologist Dave Seleski. Put experience on your side. Get your forecast from meteorologist Rhonda Shelby on K2 News this morning. This report is brought to you by Stand Up to Cancer. I'm Tony Goldwyn. 20 years ago, when my mom had lung cancer, she didn't have many choices. But today, you do. If you've been diagnosed with lung cancer, please visit standuptocancer.org slash lungcancer to learn more. The Rip City Drive with Travis and Chad. Hey, woman. Hey, woman. I bet you stay up late every night dreaming you had a real man, don't you? I tell you what, bring your pretty little self over to my apartment tonight. And I'll show you a real man. The Rip City Drive with Travis and Chad on Rip City Radio. All right, Chad, before we get to Evan Moore from Pac-12 Networks, we got to give our listeners one more opportunity to win a trip to the Bay Area to see the Blazers and the Warriors on December 11th. When we call your name here in just a second, you'll have 15 minutes to call 503-248-0620. You'll be entered into our drawing to win two tickets, hotel and airfare, Thanks to our friends at Delta Airlines and Battery Exchange. There is still time. If you haven't signed up yet, you can still sign up at RipCityRadio.com. We will call a winner next Friday out of all of the qualifiers. Thanks to Battery Exchange with 12 locations to serve you and Delta Airlines. All right. You ready for our final name of the day, Chad? Give it to me. Right. Hopefully it's Chad doing. It is not Chad doing. You can make your way down there. We'll, we'll get you some credentials. You don't need the tickets. All right. The final name for today is Tara Milburn. Tara Milburn. You've got 15 minutes to call 503-248-0620. Tara Milburn. You've got 15 minutes to call 503-248-0620. You can sign up at ripcityradio.com. We'll call a name every hour between now and next Friday on Rip City Mornings and the Rip City Drive. All right, it is time to talk some Pac-12 football. Our next guest played in the NFL for the Packers, Browns, Seahawks, and Eagles and played his college football at Stanford. Evan Moore joins us here on the Rip City Drive. Evan, after the first two games that Stanford lost earlier this year, a lot of people wrote them off, but here they are ranked again. How do they consistently stay relevant every single year, even when it looks like they can't? Guys, thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. Uh, That's a good question. I mean, Stanford... They're an interesting case this year, especially with the way they started the year. Like you said, you know, they beat a, a pretty bad Rice team and then came back and got beat by an SC team that was playing really good football at the time and then go down and lose to San Diego State. And i got to be honest with you, back in the spring, when I saw that schedule or that game on the schedule at San Diego State, I thought, you know, it's going to be a tough game. I mean, San Diego State is definitely one of the better group of five teams in the country with their running game. Um, they've had a couple tough ones the last couple weeks, but – Nonetheless, Stanford has really progressed up front. That's been the biggest difference for them offensively. Their offensive line has really come together very well. That's, as you guys know, since, since the, the transformation of that program when Jim Harbaugh got there, the thing that's really led the charge is, is the offensive line. It's been the identity of that football team. And early this season, they just didn't have it going. I mean, they were in flux up front. They were moving guys around. They had a guy playing tackle. They moved into the guard. They were moving their center around. They were moving their other guard around. And they just hadn't found the right combination of guys. But Bryce Love was able to kind of cover some of those issues up with some of his big plays, but it caught up to him in, in, in a couple games, especially USC and San Diego State, but they've just they found their way up front. And Keller Chris is obviously also playing better football, which is interesting because when KJ Costello started playing really well, a lot of people thought that he would kind of take this thing and run with it. And David Shaw kind of pumped the brakes on that and said, guys, hold on. 
Keller Chris is a guy that's done a really good job as a starter since he got to Stanford. He had some slip-ups earlier this year, but he's been playing really good ball the last two weeks. And at that position, if they can make good decisions, take care of the football, and continue to put the ball in Bryce Love's hands, they have a chance. So with the way the conference has shaped up the last week or so, it's pretty interesting to think that Stanford is right back at the forefront of the discussion as far as um, contending for the Pac-12, and it's pretty fun to watch. Hey, Evan, I know Bryce Love is a game-time decision with the ankle. What's your read on that? Do you think we'll see him play on Thursday? i got to be honest with you. I, with Bryce Love, you know, for, for a guy that's chasing the Heisman like he is, and you got to think about, you know, it's a three-man race at this point. It's Bryce Love, it's Saquon Barkley, and it's Baker Mayfield. And Saquon Barkley, after what he did against Michigan last week, and then he's playing Penn State this week, you know, if he plays well in both of those games, he's really going to steal the spotlight. So if I'm Bryce Love, to answer your question, if he doesn't play, he must really be hurt. It actually concerns me for next week as well. This guy is chasing the most prestigious award in college football, and i got to believe if he's even close to 80% that he's going to play. And now I know if you're David Shaw, you don't want to push it, and you want to make sure and keep him healthy because I think Oregon State is a team they can beat regardless. But at the end of the day, when you got the Heisman in your sights and it's a, he has a legitimate shot to do this now, I mean, he's – He's done some amazing things this year. I, I, I got to believe he's going to play at least in some capacity tomorrow night. Well, especially against that Oregon State defense. If he plays, he might put up 400 yards and five touchdowns. <laughs> well, this is a rejuvenated Oregon State group. I mean, Corey Hall has done a good job. And um, I know, you know, all this stuff that went down with Gary Anderson a couple weeks ago is what it is now. And I think these guys are. What was your read on that, Evan? What was your take on him walking away midseason? Uh, yeah, I'll be honest with you. I, I, at the end of the day, um, the guy quit. And, you know, we spent a, a, the better part of the week on our show on Pac-12 Network talking about it. And I realized the situation and the conditions um, had gotten tough for him. I totally understand that. But uh, I, I just I, – I can't side um, ever. And, again, I'm a, I'm a Gary Anderson fan. I mean, I, I've had a chance to do games for Oregon State, and I've always enjoyed my encounters and interactions with Gary Anderson. But at the end of the day, he walked away from his team. And – you know, a, lot of, a lot's been made about leaving money on the table and, you know, oh, there's $12 million left on his contract, and he basically walked away from it. It's like, well, obviously he walked away from it. He quit. I've never heard of someone continuing to get paid after he quit. Now, I realize there's probably more to the story that might come out um, over the coming months that we might learn more about it, and if I'm wrong, I'll eat my words. But I've been on some bad football teams. I mean, my junior year at Stanford, we were 1-11. I uh, played for the Cleveland Browns for a couple years, and we weren't very good. And I can tell you it's really difficult to come to work every day when you're not winning games. But at the end of the day, it's every guy's job to do the best he possibly can. And if you can look in the mirror at the end of the day and say, hey, I brought everything I could today, there's, then you sleep well at night. And, and that's the issue I had with Gary is I know things got tough, but show up every day and get the job done. At the end of the year, if you want to reassess and change the direction of the whole thing, you can do that. But it's hard for me to side with anybody that just flat out quits uh, what they're doing. You know, a lot of people talk about how it's going to affect the players, but kids are resilient. How about the rest of the coaches when they go try and get their next job and all the, the text and stuff that came out and they go meet with an athletic director or head coach and they say, yep. so why did your former boss say this about you? <laughs> yeah, no, that's, that's very fair. And I, you know, I mean, all the guys that worked with him obviously probably have strong opinions about that. And, Gary has always said the right things about his players. He's always said, look, it's about, you know, growing these, these kids into young men. And I understand that he's saying, hey, I couldn't help them anymore. I couldn't win, so I walked away. I wanted to do the favor of walking away. But these are kids in their formative years in college, and they just watch, watch their leader basically just, you know, fold it up and walk away. And I, I don't see what positive um, comes from that if you're trying to set the right example for these college kids. So, again, I'll stop there. I just I, – I just, 
I have a lot of respect for that man, and I, encounter I've had with him has been positive. But I just, I just can't get beyond the fact that you just decide to quit midseason, and I'll never be an advocate of that unless there's something I don't know. Love that take. It's Evan Moore here on the Rip City Drive with Travis and Chad. Can you explain how the Arizona State Sun Devils have turned into a totally different team with the job Phil Bennett's done with that defense? What's going on there? It's amazing. It is. I mean, the surge has been absolutely incredible. I mean, we're talking about a team that um, was basically the butt of most of the jokes in the Pac-12 as it related to playing defense. <laughs> and again, not all of it was last year. I mean, some of it was earlier this year. Where they were the worst in the country on third down up until about the fourth game of the season. And the last two weeks, they've played University of Washington and Utah, and they've allowed two touchdowns through nine quarters. I mean, that's absolutely incredible for a team to have that kind of turnaround. And the biggest difference, guys, I think, is this. I've had a chance to do two Arizona State games over the last couple of years, and I walk away from those games scratching my head both times because this team is loaded with athletes on the defensive side of the ball. Up front with Alani Latu and JoJo Wicker, and at the linebacking spot with Christian Sam and a number of different guys that are really good football players. And I just kept telling myself, this just doesn't make any sense. I mean, they're, they're irresponsibly bringing pressure on a regular basis and putting their guys in tough spots. And Phil Bennett has finally reassessed the whole situation and said, look, I'm going to allow our athletes to play good ball. I'm not going to put them in compromising situations to where they're almost too exposed against some of the athletes that we have across the Pac-12. And I'm going to put them in spots to be successful. And he did that against Washington. Now, when I look back at the UW game, a lot's been made about, you know, they, they decided not to bring as much pressure. They confused uh, Jake Browning, and that was the biggest reason they won. Look, man-to-man, I mean – they, they they put it to Washington. I saw it quite a bit on film, and Washington's offensive line really struggled against Arizona, Arizona State's front. Um, Arizona State deserves a lot of credit, not only from a scheme standpoint, but also just from a physicality standpoint. They did a great job of bringing it against that Washington squad, and they just beat them in every facet of the game. Todd Graham alluded to it after the game that, hey, we just beat them. This was not a fluke, and if you watch the film, it was no fluke, and Arizona State is playing as good as anybody else in, um, in this conference right now, and they they're well rested. I thought they had a well timed buy, and now they play a USC team who's kind of reeling and regressing in a lot of ways. And SC's in trouble as they head to Tempe this Saturday for what, what should be a really tough one for first place in the Pac 12 South. Evan, the Ducks have struggled losing 4 of 5. They're playing a Utah team that's lost three in a row. And Kyle Whittingham told us earlier this week he doesn't know what the identity of his team is. So you've got two teams that aren't what they were a month ago that have quarterback issues that are kind of reeling. So what's the what's the difference between these two teams on Saturday? Yeah, it's a really good question. I mean, these are two teams that had very promising Septembers, and then October has been has been hard to watch in some ways. And I, you know, I got to going into this going into these last few weeks, I already thought that Justin Herbert was really the least uh, placeable player in the Pac-12. He just re- represented so much value there, and you're seeing what's behind him. I mean, Taylor Alley, Braxton Burmeister, obviously Braxton's a lot younger, but these guys just aren't ready to fill the void uh, that was created by his absence and very good football player. And even though they ran it um, roughly 63% of the time while Herbert was actually playing, he still just represented such a huge threat at the quarterback position. They don't have that. And it, it's been very tough for them because they've been so one-dimensional offensively. Um, they've always been a run-first team, but just incredibly one-dimensional. That's made it very tough for them. But on the other side of it, Utah, um, I, I start to wonder how much patience uh, Kyle Whittingham is going to have. You know, Troy Taylor, the offensive coordinator they brought in this year, is a pass first guy. I mean, he passed it roughly 50% more at Eastern Washington than he did than he, than he ran it. And so coming to Utah, that was kind of a head scratcher for me. It's like, okay, they're bringing in a new offensive coordinator. It's pass first guy, but Kyle Whittingham is a ball control defensive head coach. And I know it sounds great to develop a better passing game and, and do whatever it takes to make that happen. But 
when things start not going very well, how patient are you going to be? And after this last game, I already heard the undertones from that Utah locker room and Kyle to the media basically saying that, look, we have no identity offensively. I thought we should have run the ball more with Zach Moss. To me, that screams, look, philosophically, offensively, we're not where we need to be. And Troy Taylor's a really good football coach. I mean, he did a heck of a job at Eastern Washington. But I just wonder sometimes about the compatibility between his scheme and then what Kyle Whittingham wants to see him do. And, you know, stuff, uh, they're on a three-game losing streak now, and they're going to go two odds in. It's not going to be an easy one for him. And if they were to lose another one, um, I wouldn't be surprised if Kyle started getting extremely frustrated about where that offense stands because both from the court. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Quarterback standpoint and now from a running game standpoint, they're just not getting it done. And, you know, to tie it all up, this is a must-win for both teams. Both teams are chasing bowl contention, and the loser finds themselves in a really tough spot. So it's going to be a... It's going to be an interesting one in Austin this weekend, that's for sure. Hey, Evan, with Braxton Burmeister, I realize he has no experience, but, I mean, do you, do you like the approach the coaches have taken, or is there something else they could do to put him in a position to, to, to develop a little more confidence, uh, especially at the start of games? It's, yeah, it's a, it's a good question. I, the hardest thing for me with Braxton Burmeister is I realize he's more of an RPO-type quarterback that, that is able to run around a little bit and do different things with his legs. Um, based off what I've seen from him and also what I know of him coming out of high school, I'm not sure he is even close to developing the drop-back capability that I think Willie Taggart wants to see at times from him. Um, I know that Dunstan drop-back passing, it just hasn't worked out very well for him. So it's just going to take time. I mean, the thing people have to remember is this is a guy that was not expected to play even back in the training camp. So he was not getting the meaningful reps throughout August and then early this season, and he thrust him into a position where, hey, now – Here's the ball. Now you got to make it work for us. Um, it's rare that a, that, a, that a young guy like that can put it together. And I, I can honestly say I'm not all that surprised that he hasn't. Um, but it's, it's on that coaching staff and Marcus Arroyo and Crystal Ball to find ways to, to, make, to help him find easy completions and, and help him be successful. Because at this point, it's, it's tough. I mean, we're, you know, he's under 80 yards last week and under 40 yards the week before. And you're not going to win football games like that. I know they run the ball well. They always have. And Royce Freeman is – I think he's the best pure running back in the conference. And I know it's saying a lot given what uh, Bryce Love is doing, but I'm just a huge Royce Freeman fan. But they need a little more than him to find a win. Evan Moore is with us on the Rip City Drive, Pac-12 Network's former Stanford and NFL tight end. Evan, awesome conversation, man. You you killed it. And I, I got to tell you, you've set the bar really high, and we're going to have to be calling you again here soon. Oh, anytime, guys. Happy to join. I appreciate it. You got it. Keep those hot takes coming. What a stud, man. I'm a big-time fan of uh, Evan Moore, and I love it. He, I love guys that just call it how they see it. Yep. He's like, no, Gary Anderson quit, and I'm not okay with that. Because he did, and that is a <laughs> great take right there. It is time for the further review. Sometimes we need a second look to get it right. The previous play is under further review. And sometimes we still get it wrong. After further review, the ruling on the field stands. Uh-huh. 
It's time to get under the hood and take a closer view of the biggest stories of the day. All the, all the players are doing now is they're just falling down to get a call. And it's, it's, it's a disgrace to the game of basketball. It's time for the Further Review, presented by Canby Ford on Rip City Radio. Put flags on everybody. That's it. No more tackling. <laughs> Hey, Chad, before we get to the further review, uh, Tara Milburn has 90 seconds left to call 503-248-0620 to qualify. Come on, Tara. We are 0 for 3 today and 1 for 6 on the day between the mornings and us. That means four people have qualified right now, and we have, what, uh, seven days left to call names. If we call your name right now, you've got a really good chance of winning this trip to see the Blazers and Warriors down in the Bay Area. If you haven't signed up yet, get over to RipCityRadio.com, sign up. We'll call a name every hour on Rip City Mornings and the Rip City Drive to qualify to send you to the Bay to see the Blazers and the Warriors. Get on it. It's a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. And to be there at Roracle, if you haven't experienced that atmosphere before, it's off the charts. Especially when you're rooting for the road team being the Trailblazers. All right, the Blazers get the win last night. Over the Pelicans, they did it in an ugly, ugly way. Damian Lillard talked about it. Even though I thought we could have done a lot of things a lot better, you know, I was proud of what we did on the defensive end to actually pull out an ugly game. So you never apologize for, for winning the game, and uh, we got that done. You have nothing to apologize for. You found a way through adversity when most of your team wasn't playing well to get a victory. Six-minute scoreless, scoreless stretch in the fourth, 19 turnovers. Boogie had 39 points. You shoot less than 40, and both your guards were basically invisible for the majority of the game, and Nurkic went to the bench six minutes into the first quarter with three fouls, and you still won. That's great effort. That's great teamwork, and that's the type of fight and determination that shows you that this group is growing up before our eyes. Meanwhile, Damian also talked about how important the bench was last night. You look at what, what Ed came in and brought, double-double off the bench. You look at what E.T. came in and brought. You look at Caleb coming in. Um, you know, we have so many guys that we're able to, to count on. And um, it's not just been tonight. It was each game that we've played from the preseason up to now. Guys have come in, and we've been able to have faith that, you know, the, the game is going to be fine. And when you're actually doing that over the course of a game, over periods of time, you see that you're a deeper team. You know, you're not just looking on paper and saying, well, this guy's looking good, and this guy's doing that. They're actually going out there and, uh, helping us produce wins. So uh, the longer that we can sustain that, I think we'll, we'll be a better team. You know, Chad, depth doesn't mean all 11, 12, 13 guys that play have to be really, really good all the time. What it means is that you have multiple different guys who can do various different things who can step up when it's needed from somebody and you're not relying on a select few players. Yeah, Ed Davis and Biggie Swanigan stole the show. But Terry Stotts played 11 guys last night, 11. And all 11 guys that got a chance to play last night made a contribution in their own way, including Myers Leonard. When you have that type of depth and that type of versatility, it gives you a chance to win games like that. But the real challenge now moving forward as Terry Stotts continues to try and figure out his rotation, how many different guys are you going to play and how are you going to choose those guys on different nights? Yep. It's a great problem to have, but that's going to be the real challenge for Terry Stotts, finding different ways to get everyone involved. But props to Biggie. Ed Davis was tremendous. Evan Turner has been awesome to start the year. And Pat Connaughton once again came in, got to his spots, knocked down some shots. And Myers Leonard, in a brief moment, played better than Damian Lillard last night in that game. He made a contribution. It's, it's wonderful to see. And I'm just proud of the internal development and the growth of some of the guys on this roster 
and the rookie Biggie Swanigan stepping up and, and playing well when called upon. Here is Terry Stotts talking about the big win. It seemed like it was a struggle most of the night. Uh, you know, we had a couple nice runs here and there, but um, in a game that basically our defense won it for us, our offense struggled most of the night and um, had a rough time getting it going. But uh, it was good we made plays when we needed to. Although Ed Davis and Caleb gave us nice, nice spark off the bench, as did Pat. Uh, obviously, Dame struggled, but uh, we made ended up, you know, doing what we needed to do. And that's what you have to do. You've got to figure out a way to win when you're not playing well. Chad, I want to play this one for you before we get out of here. Yusuf Nurkic talking about his early foul trouble, three fouls in six minutes. It's tough. Obviously, I want to be in the court and have my teammates, so can't afford self to to be early too early in trouble, even if the guy flopping all the time, but you know, it's part of the job to run in and, uh, and be better. Don't let Boogie suck you into his games. Don't pick up three fouls in six minutes and don't act like a soccer player when you get hit in the yeah. head. I love Pretty Yusuf, much. but don't be a soccer player, please. Chad, I gotta uh, give you a congratulations really quick before we move on to Bruce Barnum in the next segment. Today marks your one-year anniversary here at Rip City Radio. Is that true? Yeah. On your birthday? Yeah. That's awesome. I, I did not know that when I woke up this morning. I knew that because it's obviously a really easy date for me to remember. The Blazers opener last year. Your first show with us was October 25th. So we are happy that you have been here for the last 365 days, and we hope it extends much longer. Well, thank you. Thank you. And uh, I appreciate the love. And one year. I've been back for one year. Love it. Rip City, baby. Coming up next, the Portland State Vikings are winless. Their coach, Bruce Barnum, is going to explain to us a, how he keeps himself and his team positive, and B, does he feel like he's on the hot seat? You've got the Rip City Drive with Travis and Chad and your home of the Blazers, Rip City Radio. Hey, it's Dan. And Nigel. From Rip City Mornings. Today on the show, Nick Aliotti told us how to defend Darren Carrington and who would be the best head coaching candidate at Oregon State, and Nigel encouraged fans to phone in death threats. I don't think I did, but I also blacked out around 6.05, so anything's possible. Tomorrow, C.J. McCollum joins us as the Blazers get ready to host the Clippers. We'll see you Thursday at 6 a.m. Now let's get back to your Rip City Drive with Travis and Chad. The Portland State Vikings are going to be in action this weekend. Pre-game of three, kickoff of four against North Dakota State. You can catch it on our sister station, 103.7, the legend. Uh, their head coach, Bruce Barnum, joins the Rip City Drive with Travis and Chad right now. All right, Bruce, you got to help me out with this. You guys were down a point in the second quarter against Idaho State after Wilson's long touchdown run. And then they ran off four straight touchdowns. Well, what the heck happened? Uh, the wheels fell off again, Chad. You know, it's uh, we've got a hard luck streak going here um, that we have to break out of. Um, and we're back at it again, but a lot happened uh, between injuries. A lot, you know, I lost my our starting left tackles. Season's over. We had guys fall, and it just, you know, it went bad, and we couldn't catch up uh, once we got back on track a little bit and we got out with another L. I want to know or I want people to understand what it's like to be a coach so you're 0-7 and dating back to last year that's nine straight losses it, it, in moments like this do you feel like you're never going to taste victory ever again? What's this process like? Not at all. You know I talked to my staff because uh, I think at this level it, it's more about the kids than it's become at the big-time FBS with all the cash they have flowing up there. If I can teach anybody on this football team, uh, Chad, Travis, uh, to face adversity uh, in their future, 
when they're, uh, you know, Travis's age. Happy birthday, by the way, Trav. Thanks, Coach. Um, if that can click, anything I teach them now going through this, if that helps, um, it, it's a win. You know, um, I want these kids to win a football game, uh, obviously. They work too hard for it, and they're still working. So if they grind it out, I, I told them it's going to come. Uh, be patient and stay the course. Hey, Coach, I got to give you props. I, I love you. I love how you're, you're trying to use this as a teaching moment because the reality is in the future, your kids, just like myself or anybody else, you're going to face a losing streak in life. Maybe your wife wants to uh, spend time apart from you. Maybe you lose the loved one. Maybe you uh, spend more money than you're supposed to, and you've got to figure out how you're going to manage that. There's so many different things in life that we have to deal with. Uh, some self-inflicted, some not. And you can use this losing streak as a way to teach them how to deal with those things that are going to come up in the future. That's what I'm doing. I mean, that's if there's a glass half full here, that's what I took, and that's what I talked to them about. And honestly, 80% of them aren't going to get it while they're here. They're going to get it 10 years from now. That's true. You know? And if that happens, and I've seen it happen. I've been doing this for 30 years plus, and those letters – um, Kazzy Brown, a kid we had at Idaho State, I'll never forget. I had him talk to our team two years ago. A kid that we coached the, during his stay at the university I was at, stole a car in jail. We kept on to him, got him through his issues, and he became one of the uh, – he just dialed the West Nile virus, tragic deal in Utah. Hmm. But to see the response of the community that he helped uh, – you know, once he left college, um, that's what it's all about. It, you know, that's how the game used to be. But now, I mean, if you're making $8 million um, or $5 million or $2 million or $1.6, I'm not sure that's, you know, really always a cause. It's, it's about self-promotion and making sure I keep that paycheck. So, yeah. Um, people will start talking about that, but that's water off a duck's back in my world. Uh, I know where we're going to be uh, in two years, and if I'm not, then start talking. Coach, when you came in your first year in 2015, uh, you had a phenomenal year, the, the best year that Portland State football has had in in Division One in the FCS. I mean, the, the last time Portland State won nine games was under Tim Walsh in 1994, and you get off to an incredible start, and the last year was a struggle. And this year has been a struggle so far. And I, I hate to have to ask you this question, but the elephant in the room is when you're 0-7 and you're number three, at what point do you start worrying about the big picture future or do you not even worry about that at all right now? Oh, no. Uh, that's, that's this profession. It's a great game. It's an awful profession. But what happened, Travis, in that first year is I went and grabbed every junior college every one-year guy uh, that was left out there and brought him to my football team. And then um, that was that recruiting class. Then they granted me uh, uh, a longer contract and said, please build a program to where we were. So I went out and took uh, the best freshman for the last two years. And that's why right now we have 43 red shirt and true freshmen on this team. Um, And you look at next year's class, uh, which will be the – after next year, it'll be all my people. Next year's class is already depleted. There's very few. I don't even think there's double figures in that class. So I knew there was going to be a tough road 
and uh, I knew it was going to take a while to build. I remember going through that year and thinking, uh, seeing all my seniors running around on that football field because we were so heavily senior-laden and going, you know what, <laughs> we're going to be biting the bullet here. But they gave me the years, so I said, I'm going to do this right. So right now you're in, you're in the low part. It's coming up this Saturday, pregame at 3, kickoff at 4 on our sister station, 103.7 The Legend, Portland State and North Dakota State. It's Bruce Barnum here on the Rip City Drive with Travis and Chad. Coach, appreciate the time. Good luck this Saturday. Let's get off the schneid. We, it's time. Let's get this monkey off our back and scratch this donut uh, This donut uh, sponsorship we got going. And, Travis, we're, everybody in Portland, well, I can't speak for everybody. At least Chad and I are glad you were born. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks so much, Coach. I appreciate that. Gotta love See, Bruce. you got to love it. I'm happy you're born, too, Travis. Thank you, sir. I'm happy that your mom and dad had that thought that, you know what? We should make a Travis tonight. It's a good thing. It's a great thing. I'm happy to be here. <laughs> I still want to know what music was playing when I was conceived. I would like to know that. I have no interest in knowing that <laughs> for either of us. <laughs> Big thanks to all our guests today. Tomorrow we'll get you set. We'll set the table. The Clippers are going to be in town here on your home of the Blazers, Rip City Radio. That game tips at 7. Happy birthday, Travis. Thank you, Chad. Happy one-year Rip City Radio. The Rip City Drive with Travis and Chad here on your home of the Blazers, Rip City Radio. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.